You're watching My Fellow Americans with your host, Spike Cohen. Yes. Yes, thank you. Yes. I know. It's still me. It's me again. Yes, thank you so much. Keep clapping. Clap for the miracle. How would we know that you wanted the miracle? If you didn't keep clapping, welcome to My Fellow Americans. I am literally Spike Cohen. Boy, oh boy, have we got a show for you. It's, it's called My Fellow Americans. It's, it's this show. Uh, this is a Muddy Waters Media production. We are uh, on, check us out on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, Anchor, Twitter, Periscope, iTunes, Google Play. Check us out everywhere. We are everywhere. Check us out on the entirety of the internet, including social media. Give us five-star reviews everywhere. Follow us everywhere. Let us know. If you have something you want us to follow, we'll follow you too. Uh, be sure to share this video. The last thing that I want is for you and your closest, like well, probably 1,500 loved ones, to miss out on a roughly hour-long libertarian podcast on a Wednesday evening. That would be a terrible thing for everyone involved. Be sure to share it. Give the gift of Spike Cohen today. Kids love it. This program is brought to you by Anchor FM. I will be plugging that later today, later on this episode, roughly halfway through, probably at a very inappropriate moment. Uh, the intro and outro music to this and every episode of My Fellow Americans is from the amazing and talented Mr. Joe Davi. That's J-O-D-A-V-I. Check him out on Facebook, on SoundCloud. Go to joedavimusic.bandcamp.com. Buy his entire discography. It's like $15. It is all amazing, wonderful music. Be sure to buy that. Uh, I'd like to thank... Uh, no, not Kroger. I'm in Canada. I'd like to thank Canada. For this delicious Canadian water that I drink whenever I'm in Canada. It's real Canadian. Bulavanaka. Shout out to Tehran Turks' mom and him as always. Guys, before I introduce my guest tonight, I'd like to tell you about a really cool event happening. Let me pull up the graphic. Happening in a couple uh, days called Anarcho Vegas. It is the first anarchist conference in Las Vegas, surprisingly enough. Uh, Anarcho Vegas is a jam-packed event with some of the coolest speakers out there. Literally packed like jam uh there are people like larkin rose bow of the fifth column ford fisher with news to share avens o'brien jeff berwin berwick of uh, anarchopoco and uh, many many more they'll also be having a benefit uh, at a private vegas penthouse uh to uh, raise proceeds to free ross ulbricht who was the uh, creator of silk road whose federal trial uh, and conviction was an absolute travesty. Uh, but this is going to be a really cool event, and you should definitely go. It's like Anarchopoco, except you don't need a passport, which for a few of you criminals is a pretty big deal. Uh, now, you're probably thinking, Spike, I cannot even begin to fathom the very possibility that this deal could get any better. Well, you better damn well believe it's getting better, because if you use this link that is in our show notes, 
uh, you'll get 10% off the already very affordable admission pricing to Anarcho Vegas. So if you're anywhere near Vegas, and that includes being able to get there by plane, be sure to check out Anarcho Vegas. Be sure to tell them that Spike sent you. And use the link because I make money too. You get a discount and I make money. Uh, also, uh, we here at Muddy Waters Media, our thoughts and prayers are with Jason Lyon and his wife Kelsey as they prepare to welcome their baby daughter Kiara to their family. At this point, she may already be here. I haven't talked to them in a bit, so she may already be here, but we are, uh, we're really excitedly uh, waiting for that. Jason, of course, is the host of Mr. America, The Bearded Truth, which airs on Mondays and Fridays here on Muddy Waters Media. Uh, Jason and Kelsey, we love y'all, and uh, we can't wait to meet your, your little baby there, little Liberty, the first Muddied Waters baby. We're really excited about that. Um, so guys, without further ado, my guest tonight is a really cool lady and I'm super excited to have her on. She is with uh, Americans for Prosperity, uh, which is one of the largest pro-liberty organizations in the country. She is a tireless advocate for liberty. And by that, I mean that she hasn't slept in four days. Uh, when we were getting ready to go live, uh, she was just pounding Red Bulls and screaming at me, which, uh, which I hope really helps to set the tone for this episode. Uh, she here, she's here to talk about free market solutions to some of the largest problems facing us today. Ladies and gentlemen, my fellow Americans, please welcome the lovely and talented Ms. Charity Nicole. Charity, thanks so much for coming on. Yeah, thanks so much, Spike, for having me on your show. I'm, I'm really excited about this. I have to admit, your, your resume, usually when I, I, I give an intro, I'll say what their resume is and say the things they've done. And yours was several paragraphs of, not even sentences, several paragraphs of just like the like bullet list of stuff you've done. <laughs> and it, it was so extensive that I, I didn't even know where to start. So um, I'd still be saying it now if I had listed it all out. So instead I made a, a caffeine joke and I feel terrible about that. Hey, I mean, I'm actually, I actually am drinking off-brand Red Bull right now. So. <laughs> <laughs> is it, what is that called? Is that like Red Thunder or something like that? Yeah. Yeah. It's from Aldi's and it's definitely worth it. So, so I knew. Deep down, it's, yeah. it's an intuitive. I have ESP. Um, so, guys, be sure to comment <laughs> with your questions and thoughts, and uh, Charity and I will tell you if you are right or wrong. Uh, now, Charity, wrong. probably. Let me rephrase that. <laughs> be sure to comment with your questions and thoughts, and Charity, I, Charity, and I will tell you that you are wrong. That's essentially what this show boils down to. Um, <laughs> if we're not telling each other that each other is wrong, then we're we're aiming that at you. And telling you that you're not a real libertarian. This is kind of a standard thing for the show. Um, so this is your first time as a guest. And I'm, like I said, so happy to have you on. Uh, first question I ask new guests to my show uh, is, how did you get to your current political beliefs? Would you say that that was like an aha moment or a gradual evolution? And honestly, even further back, admittedly, I've only known you very briefly. So I don't know a heck of a lot about you other than your, your op-eds and stuff that I've read. Uh, so tell us a little about yourself. Tell us about, tell us about charity. <laughs> um okay so actually the answer to your question like my like how like how did I get to like where I am like politically or like my liberty like moments or whatever um I, I think it's actually a combination of like an aha moment and a gradual okay. um so so basically I, I kind of feel like I've always been liberty leaning um but I definitely like I had an I had like an aha moment um um and so I, I'm gonna tell you a little bit about it that so my parents are very conservative people. Okay. They're very, very conservative. They're um, they're one issue voters. That's abortion. That's like the only issue they vote for. But they're also like the kind of people that only vote in general elections. And when oh, I turned okay. eighteen, for for some like weird reason, I was just like, you know what? I really, I just really want to like go caucus 
And like, it was a very strange thing. So in Minnesota, I'm, I'm from Minnesota. Um, you'll, you'll notice that when I say the word bag. We, yeah, we, um, we, know, we, know you're, we know you're from Minnesota. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, no, so I, so we, we, we used to be a caucus state. And because we were a caucus state, it's like a very involved process. I don't know if you've ever done a caucus before. It's it's very different than a primary. Um, I, I, haven't, for some reason, I haven't done one, but I've 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 read descriptions and, and talked to people who have done it, and it is a, it is an intense process. Yeah, yeah, um, and especially for for me at at eighteen, like well, actually, I was seventeen when I did it because um, I was I was going to be el- eligible to vote um, during the next election or whatever. Like we were like caucusing for. Okay, and so I. I basically, I went to this, I went to this um, caucus and like, I just like want to set like the picture. Okay. So like I was a goth kid in high school. And so like, I'm a goth kid and I show up to like a Republican caucus. <laughs> and it's like, all these like older white people that are like super conservative. Right. Right. right, right, right and right. they're just kind of like looking at me like, okay, like, what is this? Like, what is she doing? But I was like so excited. And I like dragged my dad with me. And my dad definitely like went because I think it, he thought of it as like a like a bonding moment. Like, oh, like my my daughter, like there's like hope. She's a Republican, right? <laughs> um, little did he know, I'm not okay. Whatever. <laughs> right, right, right. right. <laughs> um, but yeah, so uh, I I went to this caucus um, and and I caucused I I believe for for Newt Gingrich. Um, and I stayed through the whole caucus process and all these people like all these Ron Paul people. Um, came and did their whole speeches and then everybody basically left but i like begged my dad to like stay through the whole thing right and at the very end they have this whole thing where they like do like amendments to the state party platform okay and this guy got up he was a ron paul supporter and i would describe him probably as a creepertarian now although i didn't like have those words at the time um definitely like i'm taller like bearded like 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 you know like burly man right um and he his amendment was to um, strip the the party platform for, with the the um, language that was in there to protect traditional marriage, and what oh, he said okay. was, um, you know, we're the party of small limited government. We're always talking about how we want government out of our bedrooms and out of our homes, and here we are trying to, you know, literally be in people's bedrooms and in people's homes. Right. Um, and like he totally got shot down. Like his amendment didn't go anywhere. <laughs> But um, I just remember being very, like, awestruck at, like, 17, like, that guy's right. Right, like, right, right. We are the party of small, limited government, you know? Like, right, 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 right. That's, right. like, what we stand for. And here we are, you know, trying to do the opposite of that. Yeah, just legislating, like, how a family's going to look. Right, right, right. Yeah. And, and it really just, it really, really is stuck with me. Um, and then I've had a few different other aha moments um, throughout my throughout my life, just that have like brought me closer and closer to um, liberty and you know flirting with anarchy occasionally. Um, I love your show. <laughs> um, this is so you know they talk about the libertarian to alt right pipeline. I am the conservative to straight to anarchy pipeline. Like you skip libertarianism or or at least or minarchism. You skip that. You just go straight to like. Because it's like, well, if you want to limit government, why? Because it's evil. Okay. Well, why do you want it at all? Well, we need it for some things. It's so evil that we want to limit it to the most basic functions of a society. So, um, so I won't. I, I'll let you talk first before I do that. Anyway, go ahead. Oh no, I. It's you know you. Yeah, actually, I've had a couple different like aha moments just from listening to your podcast. So I, I'll be honest. Um, this is the first time I've actually seen this like live which is weird because i'm on this and i'm watching myself live but time to do it yeah. usually yeah. i usually i listen um to to it on my um my 
uh, Cast Castbox app. Box oh, app. I listen okay. to it in the mornings when I get ready. Cool. So. Yeah, it's this. Yeah. I mean, so this is a. I mean, I get this is an investment to watch this, like, and I say that is in to watch like the entire. Like, if you really want to watch the entire thing, a a, a short episode's an hour. I've had one episode with like a black nationalist that lasted four and a half hours. No, to watch listening's a totally different thing. You can do other stuff. You can drive. You can do all that. That I get. So I. So no, that's that's fine. I. Hey, we love our listeners too. We actually have more listeners than watchers. So, um, so, so that happened with the with the the, the neck beard Tyrion, and uh, and that was kind of I guess your first your first uh, where you were kind of having your narrative of the Republican Party challenge, right? Yes. I'm guessing. Yeah. And so then, so how, t- t- tell us more about that. How, how did once that got seed got planted, then then what happened? Um. Well, then. Okay. So basically, um, I. I always kind of knew that I was I was like different than other Republicans. I always knew that I like had stronger convictions that maybe um, the you know rhinos didn't don't necessarily hold. And I and I always kind of knew that. Um, but then I got an opportunity to um, go volunteer on Rand Paul's campaign. Oh wow! Okay. Um, and so so basically, what happened is uh, a friend of mine spontaneously invited me to go um, watch Rand Paul um, at the University of Minnesota. So I went and then I got on a mailing list. Um, and then actually, actually, even before that, um, I, I was doing like a, a political project for a, a class I was doing. I think I was doing like um, political PR was like one of my classes I was taking. Oh, cool. Yeah. And so my mom basically knew my mom had a friend that had a friend that knew somebody that was going to be running the um, Rand Paul booth at the Minnesota State Fair. Um, and that guy, his name is Xavier. Um, shout out to Xavier Pickett. Um, he definitely is a huge part of like why I'm like where I am right now. Um, he's the chair of the Republican Liberty Caucus in Minnesota. And, uh, he basically chatted with me a little bit. Um, I gave him my resume and then I ran into him again at the, the, um, Rand Paul, um, thing at the university of Minnesota. Um, he recognized me and then he, two weeks later, just randomly calls me. And so I, I had this, this call from this unknown number and I don't always pick up unknown numbers, but sometimes I do. Um, and this time I did. And I was like, hello. <laughs> He's like, Hey, super random. This is Xavier. I don't know if you remember me, but, um, I'm driving down to Iowa right now. I might lose connection. Sorry. Uh, but I just really want to invite you to come out, uh, for a weekend and just, uh, check it out. And I was like, this is super weird. Like, right, I don't, right, right. I don't know anything about like, you know, being politically active. Like I just, like I went to caucuses and like, I thought it was like fun and stuff, but like, I didn't, I, I'd never like made a phone call you know what i mean or like i'd never right. like knocked on a door before and so i was like okay you know sure so I, like i went down there um and i just fell in love i i just fell in love i fell in love with with Rand paul at the time i really loved what he had to say um but more than that i got really jazzed about the people that i met yeah. um all the li- like liberty-minded people and like for me i was like where have these people been my whole life? Like I felt so isolated. I felt so like, Oh, you know, I'm just like the weird, like girl that like, you know, has these like Liberty beliefs and, you know, I just, but I found all these people that were just like me and it was really, really cool. Um, so when I left, um, I, I didn't think I was, I I didn't think I was going to go back, um, because I, I had to work and I had school and stuff. Um, but I, I, I left 
And like, I cried on my way home. I literally cried on my way home. The six hour drive, I was like, I miss these people so much already. Um, it's really funny to me because every person that was on that campaign that I really, really liked and was like really sad to leave, I've I've worked with in some capacity since then. Right, right, yeah, and so. that's that's the thing with like that I hear from a lot of people is that like when they discover it's one thing to have like libertarian friends on Facebook or whatever, you know, it's another thing to like actually meet with these people and like have this kind of experience. I'm someone that I, I think I'm wired differently because I revel in like telling people my fringe opinions and uh, you know you know like <laughs> like telling my you know uncle that I, you know, think that nuclear weapons should be, you know, legal for everyone and stuff like that. And and just the looks. And I'm like, yeah. And like, and be willing to argue it too. For normal people, most people, if you're the only one in your social circles that even, and I'm not, I'm not saying you want to uh, legalize nuclear weapons. I'm just saying to whatever you're, you're out of the mainstream opinions are, if you're the only person in that circle and everyone's giving you pushback on both sides about how crazy that sounds, for a lot of people, it starts to get like, well, man, maybe I am crazy. Like, maybe there's something wrong. Like, maybe maybe I should read. So to be around people that are like that and advocating for it and pushing for it, it's a lot of, you know, it, it helps kind of jazz you up, right? Like, I mean, it's, it's an exciting thing. Now, we have a very important question uh, from, uh, from one of our uh, regulars, Jacob LaBelle. Um, uh, he said that he was going to critique you for being a Republican convert until, uh, you came out as a Minnesotan. So he's good with you now, but he, uh, he asked if you can please say oofta and explain why it's hot dish. I know. Oh man. Oh man. Um, oofta is definitely like, I've said that in conversation before and I like moved to Virginia maybe about a year ago Right. and people are like, what did you just say? <laughs> Um, yeah, no, so so hot dish is definitely the way to go, uh, because what is a casserole? You know, like, it's if, it, if you're not eating a hot dish, like, are you even living your life? I don't know. As opposed to I've cold? Never... Is this as opposed hmm? to cold dish? Yeah. Why oh, would God, you yeah. have a cold dish when you could have a hot dish? Actually, though, um, in Minnesota, there are, uh, there are dairy queens that are open 20, uh, like, year-round. Okay. Um, and... I love going and getting like an ice cream on like a negative degree weather day. It's just, there's something just really refreshing about eating a blizzard outside. You know, I don't know. I just can't explain it. I, I also cannot explain it. This is a very, like when I talk to Wisconsin and Minnesota people and they crave <laughs> the ice and, uh, and I'm the opposite. I'm, I'm, I grew up in the South. So like even being up here during the, during the summer, when it gets into the fifties, some nights I'm like, man, it's kind of cold. And people look at me like, no, it's great. And I'm like, <laughs> Yeah, I, I I prefer to bake in the sun until I'm actually brown. So I, I that's a that's definitely a cannot. Rela- I I can relate on the hot dish though because if you're gonna have a dish like a casserole, it needs to be hot. Now that's now lut- lutefisk, which sounds like a nightmare. Um, is that cold or hot? Um, so I've actually never had uh, lutefisk. Uh, okay. It is a hot dish. Well, it's it's a hot dish. Right. So it's a dish that's hot. Um, it's basically fish that's like, I think you bury it in lye for like yes. four days before yep. you cook it. Yep. Um, yep. That's until why I've bo- never had it. Until the, until the bones liquefy, I'm told. The bones yep. liquefy from the fermentation and lye breakdown of the, of, yeah, never. 
Never. No, no. I'll just I'll just eat my walleye and my tater tots. You know, I just yeah. I'm good with that. Yeah. No, I've had hog snouts. I'm not gonna have lutefisk. Like it's not hog snouts are actually good. Um, what is that? So, the snout of the hog. It's all. It's just like fat and cartilage. Oh. Okay. I mean, I've eaten a dog before, so I mean, really. Really. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I spent some time in China, um, and uh, when I when I was in. Uh, I think we were in Guilin. Um It's like basically on the very southern tip, like the peninsula on the east coast. Uh, we we went during a certain season when they were having a dog festival, right. and basically they uh, they butcher a bunch of dogs and then sell them in the marketplace. So we went and we picked out the dog from the marketplace and cooked it. It was really good. I mean, here's where my cognitive dissonance comes in. That offends me, <laughs> and there's not. <laughs> I don't have. Right, and I'm not a person who gets offended, but I'm a big dog person. I'm, I snoot boops every day. I was just at a friend's house snooting boops, but or booping snoots, whichever that goes. Um, and yet, it's an animal, a sentient animal that's being killed with roughly the intelligence of a pig. But because we're used to them being pets, we associate them as like little hairy people. And it's like you can't kill Jimmy. Um, so it's it's funny to me. But uh, so like I said, that's my that's my like I'm like. How dare you? Like, just say that so casually, but yet, if someone said I well, ate to be, a- to be honest, I don't really, I didn't grow up with pets, so I'm a little, I'm a little di- different, so, like, I totally get that, like, if you have, like, this, like, emotional attachment to, like, an animal, but, like, I, I didn't grow up with pets, I don't have that emotional attachment, right. I'm actually kind of scared of dogs, I think they're, so if you eat them, big dogs, so I eat fine. them, why not? So you eat them, because you're scared of them, my wife's scared of chicken, she loves chicken, <laughs> she loves chicken. It's, if it's your enemy, what better way can you take out your enemy than to kill it and eat it? Or have someone else kill it and then and then you don't even have to touch it and you just eat it. So, speaking of that, of eating dogs and chickens, um, tell us about Americans for Prosperity. What do you do over there? What, what's, <laughs> that's the best segue I had for that. What what, what kind of stuff do you do there? Um, yeah, so I, I just um, recently started... Um, at Americans for Prosperity, I am a state operations coordinator. So basically what that means is that I help coordinate um, internal and external communications throughout the state operations department. Oh, okay. So I, I have a really cool job. I, I, I work in the headquarters um, and I get to like basically talk to people that are on the ground um, in the, in the states actually doing like the, the day-to-day grind. And, and I get to talk to them and find out what they're doing and, and give them, you know, ideas and, and make sure that they they have the training that they that they need to be able to, to do what they what they love and, and what they what they need to get done and um and then I also facilitate external communication within the greater um, stand together community. That's really cool. Yeah. Um we uh one of my uh I forget which episode, but I had Dwayne Lester on who is with the uh uh Grassroots Leadership Academy, which is part of AFP. Um, they're yep. the ones that go, you, you may have talked to him at some point. They're the ones that go around. He travels the country teaching activists. Um, so people will sign up and say, I want to become an activist with uh, the leadership Academy. And he basically teaches them how to become activist leaders in their community and how to agitate for change and things like that. So it's, it's really cool stuff that, uh, that AFP does. Um, so, uh, so you just, start, so that, that's why you moved to DC. Yeah well, yeah. well, so, um, I, I moved to DC because I wanted to work for the network. Um, I actually moved without a job. Um, oh, I just, wow. I just, I to DC? wanted to, I just knew. Yeah. To DC. 
Yeah, so so it's kind of crazy. Um, so basically, I did KIPP, um, the Coke internship program, um, and I was oh, with okay. um, the American Legislative Exchange Council. Mm-hmm. Um, and what happened is I, so immediately prior to that, um, I was on a six-month mission strip, like immediately prior to that. So I literally right. flew from Nepal to Hawaii, had like three days in Hawaii to graduate the program, um, flew back to Minneapolis for one day to swap out my suitcase I'd been living out of for six months into a different suitcase right. so that I could fly back out to, to D.C., um, but I couldn't find housing when I was in Nepal um, because, you know, it's a 13 hour time difference and it's really difficult to like find people and like connect with them um, for housing. So I moved out to, to D.C. Um, a year ago, didn't have a house. Um, I lived in a hostel for six weeks, five weeks um, while in, I was in KIPP. In, in yeah. D.C.? Yeah, there's um, there's three different hostels. Um, I don't oh, know if you okay. knew that. I had no idea. No, I had yeah. no idea. That's very yeah, interesting. Yeah, it's, so that- it's pretty Pretty cool. Um, but yeah, so I, I lived in a hostel and then um, my mom kept basically telling me like, all right, well, like when you do find your housing, like make sure you only sign like a summer lease, like don't do anything crazy, um, like a si- sign a year lease or anything. Right. Um, and I literally like I like I just had this like moment of like I like looked at my life and I was like, you know, I could I could listen to my mom and I could just find a place where it's just the summer. But then I'm going to go back home and do and do what like do partisan politics again i i had worked as a legislative assistant for a state senator in minnesota so um the i had been offered um positions back within partisan politics and um i just i just found my passion working within the coke network i I found people that would pay me to talk about liberty like (laughs) that's listen if you can do it i mean you're, you've described the high flying life of a of a Koch brothers shill, of course. Um, but uh, uh, no, I, I I love both the Koch brothers and the organization they're doing. They're not anarchists or whatever, but they are they're doing some incredible work where most other billionaires are out there pushing for a more centrally planned command economy so that they can control the levers of it and prevent competition. Here's a group of billionaires that are they're not the only ones but they're definitely the most most prominent ones saying no no we need more competition we need more innovation we need more market solutions to to ideas and uh you know for them to work and i mean uh, i recently read one of the Koch brothers is working with george soros of all people to start an anti-war thing because yeah if he's anti-war and i'm anti-war and we're both anti-war on the same terms and we're going to agree to disagree on this other stuff that we're usually our activists are fighting against each other on or, or lobbying against each other or whatever on. Let's work on this and, and do that. So, no, I, I have nothing but, but good things to say. But I, I always love when I when I talk to an AFP person, I'm like, Coke shell. And, you know, that's your you're only you're clearly, you, you know, you only did this for, you know, for the for the money. You didn't do it because it's your passion or anything like that. <laughs> Oh, man. Yeah. So, well, I wanted to just say um, really quick. So, like, after I did um, the, the Coke internship program, um, I flew back to Minnesota. Um, I, had, I had signed a year lease, so I was, I was paying to, li- to live out here. But I, I flew back to Minnesota thinking I was just going to be, like, a couple weeks, fix my car, right. and then drive out, um, out here and then just, like, figure it out. Um, and then I just never fixed my car enough to drive cross-country. Um, so I literally just, uh, I sold my car on Facebook marketplace, sold it within about 13 hours of it being on there, bought plane tickets. And my mom was like, what are you doing? You don't (laughs) even have a job. Like, and I was like, mom, I love you. I gotta go. (laughs) 
So you've uh, already so at this at this point you had a lease, right? Yeah, yep, yep. So you've signed so, the but lease. I, I did. I spent sold about three your months. car. You've sold your car. You've signed a lease. You have no job. You're moving to one yep. of the most expensive places on earth to live, and your mom is sitting there just like aghast that like you're yeah. just like, yeah, I'm gonna do this. That is funny, but it's working. Um, out for but you. you know what? I figured it out. I worked at Target, um, and then I got a part time job at the Leadership Institute, um, opening mail, um, and I made it happen because uh, I just you know if I if I want something, like I'm 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 gonna make it happen. Um, so, and then I, and then I landed my job at AFP and I couldn't be happier. So, yeah, no, you're making it, you're making it work for you. I'm, I'm, I'm happy for you. Um, so where, so one of the, as you know, uh, Liberty has been a hard sell for American voters, whether it's through you've done work with the, or are working with the Republican leadership caucus of Minnesota you're with AFP, you're doing your own, you know, uh, I guess off shelf advocacy, you know, your own op eds and things like that, which I want to get into later. But you're, you're seeing that no matter what avenue it comes from, there's this sort of resistance to it on all fronts. How much personal yeah. responsibility do you take for that? Do I personally take you for personally, that? Yeah. Oh, man. Well, I mean, I can't necessarily. I can't change everybody's mind, um, but I, I do. I do think that there is a personal responsibility on my end to to at least advocate for the things that I believe really strongly about, and and to make sure that people at least are educated um, about why liberty is so important. Um, and so, so in that respect, like I, I do take personal responsibility to like make sure I, that people know like I, why I, it I, is. That- I appreciate that you have taken my joke to heart and are explaining how personal responsible you are for, for this, but, but no. So I guess now that I'm not joking, what would you say are the biggest reasons why there is this like pushback on Liberty ideas, people thinking it's nuts, the idea that you can do stuff without someone pointing a gun at you and forcing you to do it. I just think people are uneducated about what a law really does. Honestly, I just think that people, they just think, oh, you know, we're going to implement a law because that person's doing something I don't like. But they don't, like, think about the fact that, like, a law is literally violence. Yeah. And and, and because people don't, like, think about it that way, they, they, they don't, it doesn't resonate with them the way that it resonates with me because I came to that, I came to that realization, you know, and I can't, it's, it's very difficult for me to advocate for the violence against another person just simply because they're doing something I don't like. Yeah, exactly. So this is actually the one year, uh, or one year, the five year anniversary of Eric Garner's death. And uh, for those who don't, I would imagine most people listening or watching know who this is, but just in case, Eric Garner was a man in uh, in New York, I think, I want to say in Brooklyn, who uh, would, uh, he was a father and grandfather, and he would go to stores, he'd buy cigarettes, and then he'd sell the loose cigarettes. He'd walk around and sell them for like 75 cents a piece because the uh, price of cigarettes uh, in New York is ridiculously high. Um, so if you, It's like 15 so, bucks a pack. Yeah, it's an absurd price. So if you, if you want a cigarette, most people just can't afford a pack of cigarettes. So they'll get a cigarette. And so it's, it's, I guess, a fairly profitable thing. So uh, shortly before he died, the chief of police 
put out a uh, uh, basically a notice to the police officers to start cracking down hard uh, on um, and to start forming units to go after people that you know routinely sell loose cigarettes. So before where they might warn you, now they're like they're going to arrest you and put you in jail and make an example out of you. And so in the course of arresting him, they end up uh, toppling him. Uh, it's a disagreement as to whether they choked him or just had him in a headlock. Whatever. He died. Um, and when you tell this to, to the average person, you'll get one of two reactions. From the left, they'll start talking about, and these are valid points, they'll start talking about institutional racism. They'll start talking about uh, excessive police of, uh, use of police force. They'll start talking about these things, which are, is great. But then if you say, well, it all happened because of the tax. It all happened because there was a, a ridiculously high tax on cigarettes and then a law that you couldn't sell them loose uh, to get around the retail taxes and that none of this would have even happened. And they shut down and go, well, we need those taxes because they use that to educate people as to why smoking's bad. So we need those taxes. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, no, but, but this is, he would have never, they would have never come up to him. Like there would have never been a police force excessiveness to be had in the first place. They have that disconnect on the right. They're disconnect. And I'm speaking generally. There's you know many people on the right that are that see this as the travesty it was. But there are many people on the right who go, well, you know, he had a criminal history and he was resisting arrest. And it's like, okay, but look at his criminal history. It was mostly selling stuff that people wanted, but it was against the law, including the loose cigarettes. And Yuck. his his resisting arrest was saying help i can't breathe and trying to get a, a arm off of his neck because he felt like he couldn't breathe and sounds like maybe he was on to something because then he died so i i agree with you that it's very often that they don't understand that a law equal is going to equal violence if, if someone doesn't comply but there's an I, I personally think there's another layer to that where when the violence is used they say well they should have complied or well, it's because they're racist, or, or whatever, whatever thing they've been taught to go to. They either they either defend the violence, like with war or whatever else. They either defend the violence, or they go, well, yeah, that violence is bad, without making the connection uh, of, about what that violence actually is. Is that what you're seeing out there when you're when you're doing your advocacy and talking to people? Yeah, I mean that's that's exactly what it is, and I think there's an even bigger issue um specifically on the right that's that's very concerning to me um and it's this it's this attitude of sorry this is a little bit of a segue um but one of, one of the really frustrating things for me um when i talk to people on the right um about things that i think are really important issues like police brutality for instance yeah um or immigration right or even climate change right so when you talk to, to when you talk to people on the right and they hear some of these things and the, their immediate like, reaction to some of these hot button issues is like, how is big government going to be used in these areas? Um, and um, whatever Republican talking points they have. Um, and they use that almost as like a, a mask to, to, to block out other information. Yep. And they basically go, no, no, no. The only narrative, the only narrative that I can believe is the narrative of my party. The only narrative I can believe is the narrative of, of Trump. Um, you know, big government is using climate change as an excuse um, to have more big government. And you know what? There are valid examples of where climate change has been um, a talking point used by Democrats to expand government. I totally 
get that. But just because that has happened in the past doesn't mean that climate change doesn't exist. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, I have a whole, I even made graphics for this segment, which I call the Charity (laughs) Nicole, I call it the Charity Nicole Climate Change Hour of Power. Um, But the first, before we get started, I have to do my uncomfortable segue. Hey guys, are you thinking of making a podcast? Well, Anchor is the easiest way to make a podcast. Uh, Anchor gives you everything you need in one place for free which you can use right from your phone or computer. They give you creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast so it sounds great. Uh, they, uh, they'll distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard everywhere. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and many more. You can even make money from your podcast, which is rare in podcasting. But you can actually make money with no minimum listenership. It doesn't matter if there's one people, one person listening, or one million, you're making money. And uh, hopefully it's a million. But uh, so if you're thinking of starting a podcast, download the Anchor app on uh, uh, iPhone, iTunes, or Android, Google Play, whatever it's called, uh, or go to anchor.fm to get started. Now, speaking of, I have no segue. I have no segue for that. But my plug's over. So now begins the Charity Nicole Climate Change Hour of Power. So. I am a recent, before we get, because I'm very interested in talking about this, the opioid crisis, income inequality, basically all the things that conservatives like put their fingers in their ears and pretend either it doesn't exist or that just everyone needs to get arrested or something like that. Um, so that, that's why I, I, that's <laughs> when you said you wanted to talk about that, I'm like, yes, finally. Um, so full disclosure, I am up until recently a, a, I guess, a climate change skeptic, and I'm still not... I think some of the more alarming narratives I'm not seeing the evidence for, but I just, for the people who are watching this, who are like me literally a few months ago, I, I just need to be, we need to go over some basics here on, on, on climate data. Cause there's been a lot of misinformation. The first one is that we've heard that the globe is cooling. That is year over year, simply not true. You might have one year that's cooler than another, but the trend line uh, is is up and has been for quite some time. In fact, this goes back, and I used to do this. I'd say, well, yeah, that's 200 years, you know, of of, of data and 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 proxy data. But you know, what about you know way back in the day? And it's yeah, it's it's still it's it's going up, and and it's going outside of the there is a natural uh, range of climate inversion and sun activity is the dry main driver of that. It's like 97% of it. Human activity makes up roughly depends on who you ask anywhere between two and 4%. So let's say 3% of it is, is, is coming from human activity. The problem is that because it's not happening as part of a natural cycle, it doesn't, when it goes, when the, when the, the, the carbon dioxide goes into the atmosphere, it doesn't naturally come back. It's not recaptured. So that 3% would be like if you had a full bathtub and you added a tiny drip drips of water over the course of decades or centuries. And what happens is eventually it starts to overflow. And so using that same analogy here, that little contribution from human activity is off slowly offsetting that balance. And that's what we're seeing play out in the, in the actual data. Unfortunately, like charity said, there are many people that like like an Alexandria Ocasio Cortez or before her the the granddaddy of climate change alarmism Al Gore who will say mm. in ten years 
the oceans are going to rise 20 meters and they'll say all of these things and they'll make movies about where the tides stop moving. Those are things that if they happen, it would be several generations out more than likely. Again, depends on who you ask. But this is an actual thing. It's a thing that needs a solution. And because most of the climate change activity is coming from India, China, Brazil, and then to a lesser extent, the U.S., and the U.S. has actually been reducing climate emissions for the past several years, this has to be a solution that still creates profitability because if you if if it's a if it's a if it's a solution that reduces economic activity china's not going to sign on india's not going to sign on brazil's not going to sign on none of these developing countries uh are going to sign on so with that said i hope i i gave you enough of a of a of a, an intro uh intro there what are the kinds of things that you believe about climate change and what are some of the the the, the things you, you you believe might help with it at, to bend that curve at least yeah. Um, so thanks for putting that graph together. That's awesome. Um, that's way cooler than me shouting about how everybody else is wrong. No. Um, <laughs> it's no. Graphs, it's it's it's, yes. it's it's more informative. It is not cooler. Actually, screaming is cooler. But I, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I mean, I like to be informed. I don't know. I'm that's weird, true. but that's whatever. True. That's true. Um, so okay. Sorry. Just a really quick tangent. They always say like libertarians are like a little off because they like the graphs and charts, but it's not the things that resonate with people. Right. And I'm like, yeah, but graphs and charts, man, like <laughs> they're the it's best, right? right? There. <laughs> <laughs> like, exactly. No, exactly. Oh, okay. <laughs> no, I agree. Um, anyways, I agree. I agree. Yeah. So, so here's the thing, regardless of, of whether or not the, the earth is cooling and we're all going to die in 12 years or not. Right. Right. We should, we should protect the the environment because it's the only thing that we have going on right it's like it if we if we pollute the the world around us like we're gonna be living in in that pollution like is that is that really the world that we want to live in do we want to and i say that you know having lit having lived for for three months in nepal having lived for three months in china um and it's disgusting it's it's absolutely disgusting and it's an education issue um, out there. It, it really is. It's an education issue. They don't realize that, you know, if you eat a bag of chips and you just throw it on the side of the road, that it's not going to decompose in three days. It's going to sit there for, for months and months yeah, and years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, and it's going to harm the environment. I mean, and there, you can't drink the water. You can't drink the water in, in um, India, in Nepal, in China. And it's really sad because it's really harming the people that live there. Right. Um, but, you know, we don't, people that live in in america and in canada right we don't necessarily see that perspective because we've always had clean water we've always had you know the ability to recycle and we've always been educated in in you know yes you should recycle and this is how you recycle um and maybe you know think about not using as many plastic water bottles and and bring your own water bottle and and we have all these education programs so it's it's different for us because we don't we don't see how bad it can get right so I just not um, I, I'm getting my water bottles out of the way. So he's not, we don't no 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 more water bottles. We here at uh, Muddy Waters Media are anti water bottle. No, I, I I agree. I don't think the average American Canadian developed worlder who hasn't spent much side much time outside of the developed world. I don't think we realize how filthy 
and I'm not saying this as an insult to those people, the level of standard of cleanliness for like a river in India is a joke. Like people religiously bathe in the Ganges and are getting diseases from it because it's so filthy. Um, Something like seven, I I wish I had a graph for this, but it's not related to climate change. These uh, these big uh, plastic patches that are happening in the ocean. I'm about to rant now, by the way. I'm sorry. Um, Go for it. I I know you're the guest, but just bear with me because I have to do this. I'm in Canada right now where businesses are required to, it may just be in Ontario, but businesses are required to charge you for the little cellophane plastic bags. They're required to charge you five cents. And for a while, the businesses would just be like, oh, we're charging you, but they would just eat the five cents. Well, now they, they can't. And so now everyone either has to pay five cents for a bag or they come in with their own bags, which I do. I, before we cross the border, I jack a bunch of bags from the, the Buffalo Walmart. And, uh, and so I just use those when I'm here. Most people, they're just carrying their groceries around like they just raided the place. And I get the, the, where that comes from, that mindset of where that comes from. But yet the reality of, of the garbage patch is that 50% of it comes from plastic fishing nets and then of the other 50%, something like 80% of that 50% comes from seven rivers in China and India that, that go out into the ocean. We have yeah. zero concept yep. of how filthy the, 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 the level of pollution in the developing world makes the worst years of the U.S. look like the cleanest time ever. It makes the 60s and 70s in the U.S. look like the absolute cleanest time in human history. There's no comparison, which is why we need actual solutions that they can make money from and 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 generate money as opposed to losing money because they won't do it. They can't afford to do it. So I'm sorry. That's my rant. Right. Well, so on that note, um, I really I, I have one to, of the I things that really bothers me. <laughs> one of the things that really bothers me um, about about the United States' approach to um, climate change, um, specifically, is recycling, right? Yeah. So if you think about it, 10, 15 years ago, you could go um, pick up – my dad told me stories about how he used to, as a kid, you know, he didn't have a job. He was kind of poor, and, yeah. and he would go, and he'd pick up cans off the side of the road, and, and he'd go into people's houses and be like, hey, you know – do you, are you are you done with that and then and then make money <laughs> recycling it uh, my dad's an entrepreneur he owns his own yeah, business now that is very um, entrepreneurial to knock on people's yeah. doors and be like you done with that over there that's funny <laughs> um and the thing is is that we, we used to get paid to recycle yeah. and actually it did it helped people that were lower income yeah. in the sense that they had they had that ability to go to go recycle um i had 10, 15 years ago, I had a friend that was um, a little bit lower income um, and they, they worked at a grocery store. Um, the whole family did the mom, dad, grandpa, grandma, they all worked at the same grocery store. Um, so they got a discount on soda and then they would recycle the soda cans. And with the money that they would recycle their soda cans with actually paid for the cost of getting more soda um, oh, wow. with okay. their, their discount. Right. Right. Um, and I thought that was really cool. I was like, sweet, you know, like that's a really great way to like, you know, be able to to afford um, your vices, and the thing is, is that now you have to pay other people to recycle. And not only do you have to pay to recycle, you're mandated by law in most places to yeah, recycle. Right. Yep. Um. And so, and and here's an even crazier thing. So, um, there's a city um, in Minnesota, um, Bloomington. Um, they about two three years ago, 
um, in the name of climate change, right? In the name of um, protecting the environment and making sure that there was less pollution from garbage trucks on the road. Um, they basically institutionalized a monopoly so that certain districts could on only certain districts could have certain garbage companies right. so that there wasn't excessive pollution from the garbage trucks going in and out. And then everybody's um, recycling and garbage costs tripled. Yep. Yep. Like, yeah. This isn't helping. What you're what you're actually doing is is you're forcing people that maybe are poorer um, to get the lowest, cheapest cost uh, options for for recycling or for for garbage. Um, maybe it's not enough to hold the garbage for their entire household, right. and then they just throw it on the ground and they yeah. throw it in other places. Yeah. Um, it's it's not actually helping the environment. It's no. it's really sad because you know that's what happens when government gets involved. You know they they actually ruin whatever it is that they're trying to do. Oh, government either creates a problem or exacerbates it. Uh, all, that, that is yep. their, that, those are their two functions, create problems and or exacerbate them. Here's, it, it gets even worse with the plastic recycling. There is now so much recycled plastic because the whole model for, for governments was we're going to get all this recycled plastic and then they're going to they're gonna send it off to be recycled into new stuff and, and then that's going to generate income. Well, that makes sense unless you've mandated it. And now there's a glut of recycled plastic. There's so much recycled plastic that most of the of the places that were doing it will no longer accept it anymore because they can't sell it to anyone. No one wants it. So now they're burning it. They're burning it. And yeah. Oh and my so, gosh, no. so when you think of all of the uh, diesel fuel that was burned having these extra trucks just for recycling... Instead of just taking, and now instead of just taking it to the local dump or or taking it somewhere to be incinerated and generate methane or whatever, now it's being put in in barges and and sent across the the world because you can't afford to have it done here. So it has to be done in China, of course. Uh, and now they're literally so they bring it over in these gigantic barges, and God knows how the the you know people give a hard time for someone having an SUV. Think about the amount of of of, of uh, uh, greenhouse gas pollution is done by a barge you know, doing its regular rounds and it, just to send this, pla the, the, the raw plastics to, or I guess the, the recycle, the recycled plastics there to be remade. And when they get it there after a while, they hold it. It's, it's below cost that they can even sell it for. They can't sell it for enough to cover the cost of transporting it yet again to somewhere else. And so they just burn it and, and they're not even burning it in like these safe, you know, methane recapture things where they can. So the people who, 10, 15, 20 years ago, we're saying, why don't we just take this stuff and put them in, uh, in, 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 in methane plants and, and burn them and have, you know, filters, charcoal filters that hold all the, the carb carbon that comes from it so that it's relatively clean. Why don't we do that? It would save, you know, all the, all the transportation, uh, uh, emissions and, and everything and the cost, but it didn't sound virtual, virtual, uh, virtuous enough. Right. You couldn't signal virtue by burning trash. You can signal virtue by telling everyone they got to sort their plastics and glass. Then do you know, it's like uh, uh, it's like when you give someone a, 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 a you know, like a, it's almost like a fidget spinner. Like you give them something to make them feel like they're doing something when in reality, you're just a lot of the time wasting their time. Uh, uh, voluntary recycling would have generated or would generate enough uh, 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 recyclable materials to make an, to make a, a, a profit from it. Mandating that everyone does it has created a massive glut. 
and they could actually just be burning it and doing less damage to the climate and air pollution and everything else just by burning it. But there's a that would have been a market solution. A government solution where they're more concerned with how it looks so they can get reelected gave us what we have now. Well, okay, so in, in Arlington County, um, which is uh, where I live right now in Virginia, okay. we just we just got a letter in the mail um, basically saying that, um, sorry, we no longer accept glass. We no longer accept glass to, yeah. to process because it's too expensive, basically, and we don't have the resources to be able to, to in the excess of capacity at which we have glass to, to recycle. Right. So we are no longer accepting glass to recycle. And it's actually crazy to me because since I moved out here, um, so in, in Minnesota, you can literally recycle anything. I mean, it's crazy. Like you can, you, I think it, like, there's like charts. Um, they like have like that they like hand out to people. And then like, like my friends, like I'd go over to their houses. It's like in the, in their um, garage, it's like all the things you can recycle and then the things you can't. And it's like very minimal what you can't recycle, basically. Right, right, right. That's um, that's how cannot... that's how it is up here. Pretty much like yeah. it's like used um paper towels and stuff are pretty much the only thing that can't be recycled. The food goes into a composting thing, plastics and glass go into one thing, metals go into another so it's like there's a very small list of stuff that's like you said, that's not recyclable. Yeah. Well then but then here in Virginia, like I'm getting like like shout out to my roommates, you're great. But like they were like, you know, saying things like, hey, you know, you can't recycle that. And I was like, wait, you, you can't recycle that? What? And it's because out here, they there is such a, like you said, such a surplus of, of recycling things. And, and the government doesn't have the capacity to be able to process it. And so they've limited what they can and what they can't recycle. Yeah. And I don't yeah. I just I don't think that would happen if if it wasn't a mandated thing. If it was just people that wanted to recycle it because they were in, um, you know, had innovations that would better suit the particular area that they're in and, and right. actually made um, things recyclable in their area based on like what people were consuming, you know, and, and actually were able to make a profit off of it. We wouldn't have this problem. No, no. And, it, and, it, and, and, and now that it, they can't actually make any money from it. They have these contracts. They're required to take it in. They can't dump it or burn it. So they have to ship it to another country. <laughs> yeah. For them yeah. to burn it. And everyone yeah. knows this is what's happening. They're, it's not like it's top secret. They're like, hey, look. I mean, they're actually lobbying in some places. They're lobbying state governments to say, like, get rid of these rules and let us, like, deal with this in a much more efficient way. You're making, you're forcing us to... Uh, uh, to trans to now even more greenhouse emissions to transport it to China for them to burn it because now it's out of our hands and it's not illegal anymore. It's like an extraordinary rendition for plastic, and uh, and they uh, and 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 the state governments are like, no, you're just being you know a greedy polluter or whatever. And it's like, no, this is a terrible, terrible idea. Now let me ask you this because. When I, what got me into the whole climate change thing was I'm very interested in reading and watching stuff about science and the future and advancements and innovation. And, and the more I watched and read about the data, the more I was like, yeah, it's cool and fun to say it's a Chinese hoax. But um, the, there are a lot of uninterested parties who are like just flat out saying 
that this is happening. And they're not the alarmists. They're not saying we have 12 years and we're all going to die. They're not saying that. They're saying this is something that needs to be addressed, especially as China and India become world economic powers. They're their uh, pollution is going to continue to grow exponentially and it's going to reach a point where now we're making drastic cuts. Let's do it now before it gets to that. So, But one of the things that I kept going back to, and I, I don't know what you think about this, is nuclear energy. Um, I watched, uh, there's a, uh, I forget his name right now, but he's one of the main uh, advocate, former uh, advocates for renewables and things like that. And he said, any person... And you can correct me if you think I'm I'm, I'm wrong because that's what we do on the show. Uh, but any person who is talking to you about effective climate change change solutions that isn't talking about nuclear energy is not serious about this. It, like they're not taking it seriously. Do you? What What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, nuclear energy is definitely the way to go. I think that we need a lot more research for sure, but we're not going to get the research that we need unless we prioritize it. Um, and I do, I do think that we need to prioritize it. Um, it's a lot more sustainable. It's a lot more viable than wind energy and solar energy. Um, although I do think that wind and solar would be a lot more viable if we didn't, um, you know, subsidize them. And if we didn't have tariffs, of course, course. yeah, that, uh, yeah, that, that didn't help. Yeah. But, but regardless, I mean, the the fact of the matter is, is that nuclear energy is actually very safe. Um, when you, I mean, now we have this, this, uh, Netflix show, Chernobyl, Chernobyl, yeah. Um, and I, I haven't watched it. I'm not gonna lie to you. Uh, but I mean, it's just fear mongering really. If you're, if you're watching that and your takeaway is like, let's not have nuclear energy. I, like I said, I, I haven't watched it, so I can't really say too much, but like from what I've heard about it, your takeaway should probably be like, don't trust government. (laughs) <laughs> that's the thing like, my takeaway my takeaway from the trailers is communism is bad and that and we shouldn't do that great job guys yeah. i know that's not what they were trying to portray which is um and also for some reason uh russian people have british accents that was the other takeaway <laughs> i got from the trailer they took all the game of thrones um, game of thrones was ending so they took all the brits from game of thrones and said now you're a russian communist in the ukraine I also heard that um, Russia is coming out with their own version of it to combat <laughs> the lies. Uh, so that's just very funny to me. But that is Ugh. funny. That I will watch. That I will watch. <laughs> I will watch that solely because I love watching how Americans are portrayed in foreign film. Uh, we are not. It is not. We are not portrayed uh, glowingly. Put it that way. And I can't, especially in, in Russia, I would imagine not. Definitely not. So, um, so just a yeah. really quick aside. Um, okay. So when I so when I went to China, um, my my parents were very very scared to let me go to China. Um, they really fought me on it. Um, <laughs> and their big, their big reason for like why I shouldn't go or whatever is because, well, charity they're gonna they're gonna hate you because you're free and because you're an American. And like I kind of like believe that narrative like a little bit because like I'd never been like that was like my first time going out of the country, um, and then I like would talk to people about like Americans and like I like in my head I was like had this like inflated ego about like oh we're so much better than everybody else yeah, and like yeah. everybody like hates us because we're free and then they're like no you guys are dumb and you don't know anything about foreign policy and I was like oh you're but but you're right because I don't know anything about foreign policy yeah that's yeah 
It's 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 so. it's, it's, it's got, first, <laughs> first of all, your poor parents. They're, you're like, I'm I'm going to China, and then when I get back, I'm signing a lease in D.C. and that car's gone, it's out of here, and I'll see you when I see you. Um, so I and I meanwhile, I was like you as as a, as I know you're not. Well, you're a kid. I'm I'm old, and you're not. Um, but when I was young, <laughs> I was very much. And then I also added, and I'm going to do a bunch of drugs too. So it was like it was like I'm going to do all that stuff. Plus, I'm like a druggie. So. I, I, I empathize with both of our sets of parents. Um, but uh, so I just wanted to, I want to give a shout out to your, 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 yours and my uh, long suffering parents. But yeah. Um, <laughs> so yeah, no, it's, it's a very interesting thing. This whole, uh, we're like, yeah, people hate us cause we're number one and, and we're, and we're so free and like we, and we believe this and we go other places believing this. Yeah. And so like, to be clear, China is, a police state like you have far less social and personal freedoms in china than you do in most places in the u.s there are some of the major metro areas that might give it a run for its money on bad days but but now now some would argue that they actually have more economic freedoms if you're an entrepreneur your net freedom is less in china than it is in the u.s it is right the daylight between those, the gap between that freedom is nowhere near what you think it is. Mostly because the average American doesn't realize how not free they are. They are so conditioned that regular everyday things are bad that they're like, well, I'm free. Well, yeah, but you can't do this. Well, I'd never do that. That's bad. And it's like, A, it's not bad. And B... You can't do it. Like, you're not free. You're free to consume and obey and do all the stuff they taught you in school with the bells where you were institutionalized. But you're not actually free. You're, you're in a gilded cage. And, and my eyes get wider as I do this. So I, it definitely, definitely is, a, is a, a good look when I do it. But, but yeah, I mean, we go to these other countries. And, and their, their main, from my experience, in Canada, in the West Indies, in other countries... Their their main things with us are twofold. One, we come in arrogant as hell and yeah. act that way all the time, despite ourselves. Even if we're not trying to, even the more woke amongst us don't even realize how arrogant we are. Um, and, and, and arrogant combined with a lack of self-awareness and knowledge about things in general. So we kind of come in dumb and cocky, generally speaking. But then the other thing is that our government routinely terrorizes entire sections of the planet, making those people there hate everyone else too. So they get blowback from the fact that, you know, we're not bombing them, basically. It's like, well, you're an ally of the U.S., so now you're our enemy too. And we create enemies that hate everyone now. So those are the two... I mean, did I leave anything out? Those are seems seem to be the two main things that people come to me and they're like, "Why do you guys bomb everyone? And why do you think you're like the best?" Is that that's sort of what I get hit with a lot? Yeah, no, that's that's real. Um, I don't. I just. I don't know. I think it's just a, a weird cultural thing, and I think it it has a lot to do with this like weird sense of like pride and patriotism, especially on the right that they like yeah. instill in you about yeah, like. Yeah. Okay, so so just like a, even just a slight little change of subject for a second. Um, okay. When my, oh my 
So there's a city council. There's a, there's a city council in Minnesota. It just recently made national news because Trump tweeted about it. Um, this this city council is bas- basically like said that they want to um, make it optional to say the Pledge of Allegiance. And literally people are freaking out, like freaking out. And it's like, okay, guys, do you do you know like have you when was the last time like when was the last time you thought about the words that you're saying when you say right. the pledge of allegiance right because i'm i'm sorry but like when you when you say i pledge allegiance to the flag to a flag right the the flag the flag um and for which it's the the government for which it stands Republic basically which it stands right 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 like i i just i don't see how you how pe- how republicans who claim to be so like anti big government are so pro, like pro- pledge of allegiance. Like I don't get it. Like you're literally pledging allegiance to government and and overwhelmingly Christian, yeah. and and standing up, looking at a flag, putting your hand on your heart, and reciting this you know droll thing that you probably don't even know what you're saying. What you're saying is I pledge allegiance to this cloth and the government it stands for. Because yeah. I'm so small government and I, and, oh, but also I, we need the second amendment to rebel against the government <laughs> that I just, that I just pledged to, but also the police are never wrong. Like, I mean, it's, it's cognitive dissonance on top of it cognitive really dissonance. Yeah, and, no, it really is. And the, the patriotism of the left, the jingle with, I should call it the jingoism because patriotism, you know, Mark, I like Mark Twain's definition of patriotism. I think it was Mark Twain. That patriotism is loving your country and really distrusting your government. I, I, I that I'm, I'm good with that kind of patriotism. The jingoist yeah. patriotism, the, the left has their very interesting version. So the right will say we are fine with bombing every country on earth if they so much as cross us. And the left says we need more trans women of color operating those bombs. And it's like. As long as you put enough faces that they like, if you put yeah. a darker and more gay face on, and I have nothing, I mean, no offense to people of color, LGBT, this is an LGBT friendly, uh, people of color friendly, uh, we're as close to intersectional as it gets without actually being not white. And, and, but, but if that's all it takes for you to be fine with endless bombing, endless drones, endless destabilization of governments, all of which happened under the Obama administration, then you're every bit as nationalistic and 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 jingoistic and and essentially violent and ignorant as the right is, except you're just not being you're you're also a hypocrite. You're also not being honest with yourself about it. Well, I mean, give some credit to Bush. Come on now. It wasn't just Obama. <laughs> no, 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 no. I wasn't. No, it, when it wasn't just Bush. I mean, it's been. This has been going on my entire life, right? right so I mean, this right. this began in this newest round of perpetual war started before I was born, shortly before I was born, and has been going on for quite some time. And I want to. I want to. Uh, how there recently it was like there's only been like 13 years or 23 years in. Uh, uh, hold on. In 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 U.S. history. That the U.S. hasn't been... Yeah, the U.S. has been at war 222 out of 239 years. That is an impressive stat. 
Impressive is a word you could use. Impressive yeah. is a word. Like, it, like if you looked at a, a mass grave and went, that is impressive. That's like, I mean, it, it's... <laughs> and we're talking... So, I, anyway, I, I, I just... So, and the left, how much of that was Democrats? Like, the left is every bit as complicit in this. Right. Well, that's that's kind of part of my, like... The So, I don't, I don't want to say I'm having... I, I'm having... <laughs> I'm having what I'm calling like my, my quarter life contemplation. I don't want to call it a crisis. <laughs> I'm having a contemplation okay. just about like party politics and like what that all means right. and things like that. And I've actually been having this uh, contemplation for, for a few years. Right. Right. Um, and, and the fact of the matter is, is that as much as I want to go, Oh yeah. Democrats, they're the ones that are, that are ruining our world. They're the ones that are ruining right. our society. Well, right. Right. The fact of the matter is, is that, Republicans have been just as complicit in our endless wars. They've been just as complicit in our uh, the war on poverty, the drug war. Um, now we have immigration, which is just, it's crazy to me that we are literally locking children in cages. And you say that to, to we're, we're locking brown kids in cages. It's true. And and you say that to a, to a Republican and they go, oh, well, Obama did it too. Yeah. So? Yeah. Who cares? Who cares? It's happening and it's wrong. And it's wrong. And you know what? I think it's wrong that that's happening with people that are in jail too. And you know how you stop it from, from happening and, and how you, you solve this problem? You stop creating laws that are put that are separating children from families. That's how you solve it. It's not just let more immigrants in. Like That's not the solution. It's stop laws in general that are creating family separation. And that's like the cognitive dissonance on the left and the right. Yeah, ex- exactly. And it, and it, they're correct. So the, 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 the left and the right are never more correct than they are when they're pointing out the hypocrisy of the other side, because they're absolutely <laughs> correct. They're absolutely correct. I have two family members that I love very deeply and they both call me and complain about the other, about what, how terrible they are. And they're not terrible, but they just complain. But the stuff they say about the other one is absolutely true. It's equally true about them. And that's what I, so when I see Republicans go, well, yeah, you know, the, the left, I didn't hear the left whining about this when Obama was doing it. That's correct. That is correct. But we're also, we're against Obama policies, right? Like, I mean, we're, we're, we're against those. Uh, and, or, or, or they'll say, you know, the right, the right doesn't have a problem with deficit spending when a Republican's in charge. That's absolutely correct. But uh, it's still like, let's not do it though. Like, that's not a reason to continue it. That's a reason to stop it and, and check our, our, uh, our hypocrisy on the subject. But, you know, the immigration issue is similar to the drug issue in that the government has created a problem. They've set all the parameters to create a problem. They have continued to make actions to exacerbate it on all fronts. And then they use that as a reason for more power. So you have the U.S. government that has created for the first hundred years of the u.s's existence it was open to unlimited unregulated migration there was no welfare state and the u.s government was not going around destabilizing other governments and other countries and 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 killing people and making where they live a hellhole uh place to stay um for political reasons so the people that came here and there were a lot of them a lot of people came here uh including most of our ancestors most minnesotans are the descendants of scandinavians that came during like the the 1800s, right? So probably including your your well, relatives. actually, Minneapolis. Um, so fun fact, I don't know. Most people don't know this. Um, Minneapolis is actually the most diverse city per capita 
or, uh, oh wow yeah city per capita in the u.s um and it's because we take in the most refugees out of all the other cities in the in the u.s Fun oh fact. wow yeah, so there's 120 uh, languages that are spoken in our school system um, in the Minneapolis school district. Wow. Yeah, it's actually, it's, I mean, I'm very fascinated personally. Um, I, I love other cultures. Um, I love learning about it, about other people and just where they come from. I really pride myself in like knowing how, where other people like come from in their mindsets and like things like that. So I, I'm very fascinated by that. Yeah. Um, but there are a lot of people that are like very like put off by it and they're like, oh my gosh, Muslims. Yeah. Muslims they're going to take over. Muslims, and it's like okay, yeah, Mexicans, but like, yeah. yeah, are they <laughs> like, or are they just trying to live their lives peacefully like you are? I don't know. Every wave of migration when my family came, it was the Jews are coming with their foreign religion and they don't speak. And this was true; they had a foreign religion. They did not speak English. They had no money. And what did they do? They came here. And made businesses and worked and did stuff and built their way up the American dream. Yep. The, the main problems with immigration now are that you have, you've done, you've done many things here. One, not you, but the government has done many things here. One is they've destabilized countries. So now people are coming in desperation, you know, like it's not just they're coming for economic reasons. They're coming as refugees. They're coming in horrific conditions and they're not terribly happy with the u.s government to begin with because they know the u.s government helped had a part in it but it's also the only place they can get to they're, where the, the countries are destabilized in the first place that's yeah. what gets me that's what makes me so angry about the fact yeah. that we're not taking in refugees and that we're capping it so that if you're if you're crossing from a, another country into another country and there's, there's this there's new i don't know if you saw this um the the new um the, refugee policy that's being put in place by the trump administration so basically if you come from guatemala or if you come from venezuela and you cross into mexico so now you've crossed into another country before getting to the United States, you are no longer eligible for refugee status. Right, right, And right. that's appalling to me because a majority of these people that are coming from these countries are actually coming from countries that are destabilized because of the United States government. Like, we... What? And then we create a welfare state, a fairly yeah. lavish welfare state, which any person here, because I get it, you, you let everyone in and they get on welfare. It's not sustained. I get that. If you were in that situation, if any of us were in a situation where it was gross starvation and we go somewhere where it's illegal for us to work. And then we find out that there are some cities that go, well, yeah, technically can't work legally, uh, but we'll put you on programs where you'll live what to you is an incredibly incredibly comfortable existence you will want for nothing all of your major needs will be met and even some of your your more base wants will be met you'll live what we consider a lower middle class life and what in your country is a wealthy lavish lifestyle that the vast majority of people will never get of course they're going to do yeah. that if, if it's available to them if instead you said we're not going to destabilize your country we also don't have welfare not just for the several hundred thousand uh, 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 migrants that come here every year, but for the four million Americans that are born every year, we don't have, we don't have welfare. We don't have welfare. We have charities. We have, well, we have, what is charity right here? We have, uh, I'm sure I'm the first person to make that joke um, uh, to you. Um, 
but you know we've got hey, i have a, i have a i have a rule i'm just gonna throw this out there okay so i i do i do have i just have to lay some ground rules now okay um so you can you get one joke i'll let you i'll let you make another joke you get one joke okay after that you're gonna have to venmo me five bucks for every joke it's just that's fair i'm sorry that's fair that's i I, fair. Just don't, I just don't do this for free you know yeah no no you can't you can't listen i mean you're you're with the coke brothers you, I, you can't you know we can't we can't just do stuff for free um uh but no i uh I, I i no that was the one joke but i i I'll, I'll even i'll even not do the second one even though i can you can you can oh. drop my venmo actually in the comments I'll, I'll get it for you later so if anybody just really feels like they need the to com- make jokes then uh they can just they if can venmo me jokes, uh if you've got jokes here's the joke fun um yeah but yeah. uh so i mean uh so you know the, the, if you just let them work and said there's no welfare but you can come and work here they're just going to come here and work. And a lot. And if you stop destabilizing their countries, most people, even if they're told it's way better somewhere else, most people, if they have a comfortable, what they consider a comfortable lifestyle, they're doing sustenance farming, they're working in a factory, whatever. Their kids aren't starving. They aren't at risk of some kind of political upheaval or uprising. And they can just live a comfortable life. They're just going to stay there anyway. Seven billion yep. people aren't trying to come to the U.S. People in certain countries that have been destabilized who are able to walk here within a few weeks, what else is left for them to do? So uh, the immigration problem solves itself by just not creating problems anymore. The, I, the, and I'm, I'm with you on, on different cultures and religions and, 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 uh, languages and stuff. People are under this erroneous belief, especially on the right, that having different cultures creates conflict. And that's simply false. Mm. Um, that is right. simply false. The countries with the highest amount of conflict are almost 100% a specific race or color or culture. Um, uh, the And the countries with the least amount... Now, it's also true that there are countries like Japan that are very homogenous, that have very uh, 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 you know low levels of conflict and violence and, and, and whatever. Um, but then there are also very diverse countries in, in Europe and other places that have... Little violence. Canada is an incredibly diverse country. Very, very little violence. Um, and so what it all means is that that's not the problem. There are many external problems outside of culture that can create violence. The biggest one is, and this is me being an anarchist, forced association. When you force people into association with each other, you force them to be subject to each other's mm-hmm. votes and wills and whims instead of letting them voluntarily associate as they wish. That's what creates conflict. Um or do you do you disagree with that? No, sorry. Actually, the AC went out in my house, oh, so no. I need this door to be open. So I hopefully. Yeah, no, it's fine. It's all good. Um, yeah, yeah. But no yeah, fun. no, I I totally agree with you. And actually, I think there's another element though too, and that's that's um, value systems. Um, maybe this goes with with forced um, association, but right. but I really do think that if you if you have a, a society that has differing value systems um, along with the the differing um, cultures and backgrounds and whatever, then you're also going to have, you're going to have issues. Oh, of course. Um, Yeah. And, and that's, that's the thing that, that I think a lot of people on the right really resonate with is that different value system. But I think that they, they know that. And I, I do believe that's true, but I think that they take that to the next level and they say, every person that is different than me, looks different than me, speaks a different language than me, has a different background than me, has a different value system. Therefore we're incompatible and we can't coexist. 
Yeah, yeah. I will have people who swear up and down that they're not racist and they'll say stuff like, well, white people just have different values or different cult. And I'm like, that's not, that is not in any way how it works. Or, or they'll say like, only Christians or only, I'm sure Muslims say this in their countries too, but they'll say, you know, only Christians can truly value life and property and things like that. And I'm like, that's factually inaccurate. Like that's, <laughs> that is, that is simply not true. Like the, the, some of the, some of the original, uh, 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 what you could call today libertarian and propertarian philosophers existed centuries before uh, 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 Christianity uh, or Christ even, and uh, and and some uh, you know in, in Babylonian times and things like that it, it even came before Judaism. So I mean, this is not that's simply not that's actually not correct. And uh, well, but say that's it, a, yeah. not to be too controversial here, um, but I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about Austin Peterson for a second. Okay. Um, so Austin Peterson is is pro life. But he's also an atheist, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, and for a lot of people, that's like, wait, how? Where is your value system? Like, how do you how do you really value life if you can't, you know, whatever? And it's like, okay, dude, like, value comes in different comes from different places. Right. And for me personally, I am religious, right? So for me, I actually take a lot of my my value system from my religious beliefs, and right, I, and right. I really do value um, those things, but. Right. At, this, at the end of the day, you can you can be pro-life and you can be an atheist, and I don't think that those are mutually exclusive, or, or, or I don't I don't think that those are things that, that can't coexist. Yeah, no, exactly, and that's and that's that is a perfect example. I mean, you you can believe in in the <laughs> what what? Sorry, my my roommate just commented uh, on this post about how Austin Peterson's a douche. <laughs> I've heard I've I've heard, I've been told that as well. I've been told, I've been told that as well. I, uh, uh, I, I've never actually met him or really spent much time with him. I know he made some kind of statement about pyramids and that's, that's, that's stuck with him. Yeah. I've, hmm. I've anyway. Uh, but, um, yeah, no, I mean, you can believe in the personhood of someone. You can believe that someone's personhood happens before birth without believing that God created the earth in seven days and that, you know, that the it's the the god of abraham isaac and jacob is is the creator of the universe and an all omnipotent and and i'm not knocking people that believe that i'm 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 saying that you don't have to believe that in order to believe that personhood happens at some point before the moment of birth and 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 you know now that faith comes with it i i believe that inherent belief where it talks about how, you know, uh, I was knit and, uh, you know, you knit me in my mother's womb and I was, you know, fearfully made and made in your image and all that stuff. So I get why someone who is, you know, religiously Christian or religiously Jewish or Muslim would, would, would have that kind of uh, uh, belief, but you don't have to have that belief to have it. And, uh, and there's, there's many examples of this, but I, I wanted to get on uh, uh, to talk to you about some of your thoughts on, you, you wrote an op-ed about the opioid crisis, and I was going to try to cliff note it and then get your thoughts. But honestly, I, I think that what you had to say, I think it's better to just like let you let you go, unleash you and say, you know, what are your thoughts about the opioid crisis and some of the some of the problems that have caused it and some of the solutions that are that are helping with it? Oh, man, this is a this is a segue. Um, I'm actually curious to hear your uh, your your summary. This is, this, that'll be good. Uh, entertain me. What what 
remind me what I what I what I uh what you where, were I, where I went with it. I can I can go into so many different directions. I don't know necessarily where to. So the two things, the thing, the main thing you were talking about, and I, I didn't do the notes, so I'm, I'm not, I don't have a photographic memory, but basically you were contrasting the, you know, law and order approach, you know, zero tolerance approach to dealing with the opioid crisis and why that has miserably failed and contrasting that with places that have adapted more education and healthcare based solutions to actually treating not just treating the person as a as a patient instead of a criminal, but also treating them as like a- acknowledging that there are usually mental health issues involved and things like that. But uh, and allowing for things like safe injection sites, allowing uh, there was one that where uh, uh, if you are um, uh, oh man what was it if you're involved in maybe this will help jumpstart, but it was a, it was a law that used to be basically that if you were part of if you were you know high and reported something uh or you know were high and ended up in the hospital you were getting arrested laws yeah 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 Yeah. oh man i am a huge advocate for good samaritan laws um actually i yeah places that that don't have good samaritan laws it's that's just disturbing to me that's disturbing to me that, that you would have somebody like let's say that your friend comes to your house they're they're really just really really messed up on drugs right they come to your house you're a safe place and then they and then they close their eyes and you're like oh shit you know they're they're od'd um i'm gonna call the police well now you're gonna get charged with a crime for for being at for being an advocate for potentially giving them the drugs like whatever whatever the police want to say right 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 um and and that's just that's wrong to me because that that it goes against anything that I believe in as far as harm reduction. Yeah. Um. And so it's that's yeah. I I think that every every state should implement um, good Samaritan laws. Actually, that's one of the things AFP advocates for is good Samaritan laws. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Wisconsin uh, last legislative se- session um expanded their their good Samaritan laws and it's it's amazing. Um. I think I think every state should should implement them. Yeah. I. I... Um, you know, I'm not a fan, obviously, of, you know, state healthcare services and thing like, things like that. I think they're poorly managed. I think they're inefficient. I think they create barriers to entry for entrepreneurs and all of the various reasons that you and I could agree all day long uh, as to why you should not, uh, uh, you know, get involved in state healthcare. If the, if the mm-hmm. state has decided that they want to spend money to deal with opioid addicts and overdose cases, it costs less money to treat yep. them medically than it does to cage them, investigate, prosecute, and, and cage them for the sometimes often the rest of their lives if they have multiple strikes against them. And, and, then, and then all the times you have to do it again when they get back out. If instead you treat it, it might cost a little bit more initially. Or in many cases, you could just make it legal to help them. Stop criminal, like you were saying, you can, if you, if I set up a, a place that's a safe injection center and a safe space for overdoses where I voluntarily with my money and money I've raised help people without calling the police and, you know, having them arrested and opening an investigation, I'm a criminal in many states. South Carolina is one of those states. I can't do it. You're not letting me, when they say well, without government, who would help people? Without government, who would criminalize helping people? And, and, and that's a perfect example yeah. of that. Um, Putting so we have aside- certificate of need laws. We have certificate of need laws for addiction centers. 
Like, are you serious? You really? Have I have to go tell the government how many beds I need. I need to make my case. I need to advocate why I think that we need to open um, a, an addiction clinic. When, if we could just open these addiction clinics out of the goodness of our hearts, anywhere we want, in my own basement. If I Everywhere. saw exactly. that there were homeless people, and I was like, "Hey, you know what, dude? I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go get some, some um, Narcan. I'm gonna, I'm gonna take you in. I'm gonna give you a good place to sleep, and I'm gonna right. let you sleep in my basement out of the goodness of my heart. I should be able to let you do that. But unfortunately, a, a lot of state governments actually won't let you do that because it's a, it's considered an addiction clinic, and you have to go through the certificate of need process." and they only allow so many beds per um, county or per city or however however that state does it. And it's it's wrong to me. Because, wrong. God, because God forbid there be more beds than are needed. Like, what well, I mean, right. I, 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 right. I, especially where it's a voluntary, it's not like I'm asking for state money or whatever. I'm just saying like, you know, I, I, I full disclosure, I was a drug addict for the better part of uh, just over a decade. I've been clean for 13 years now. I thankfully... I only dabbled in the harder stuff. I was mostly weed and pills and stuff like that. And so, uh, but I've been clean for a very long time. I, I have seen, I never got that bad, but I've been adjacent to people that got that bad. And if I were a multimillionaire and I said, you know what? I want to give back. I see these people on the streets and I know that I was just maybe a few times of smoking crack or, or doing, you know, putting heroin in my blunt or whatever away from ending up just like that person. You know, thankfully I didn't do those things and I had a very supportive home uh, and, and patient home network that, you know, loved me and supported me through these things. I could be very well where that person is. And so I'm going to help that person. What the hell's business of anyone else's is that other than anyone who wants to voluntarily help me? Well, yeah. Okay. So I have to, a, a little confession time. Okay. Okay. So, um, I used to listen to Ben Shapiro, um, daily. Okay. I was a big fan, um, okay. 2015 to probably 20, the end of 2017. Yeah. I listened to Ben Shapiro every single day. Yeah. Um, and, recently I actually, I, I took up listening to his podcast again. Cause I was like, you know, I'm, I'm curious, like what, what it's, what it's like again. And I was yeah. just disgusted. I've, I've grown so much since, oh, since yeah. I stopped yeah, yeah. listening. Yeah. Yeah, no, exactly. um, but there were, I, I listened to, I listened to Ben Shapiro, um, talk about Seattle. And I listened to him talk about how people are, are literally pooping in the streets and, and doing drugs and there's needles all over Los Angeles and all this different stuff that's going on. Right. And his solution to the problem, okay, his solution to the problem was to call the cops on people That'll fix it. for doing drugs no one in the of streets. That. Yeah, no one thought of that. So that, the, so that the police could, could round these people up and put them into rehab centers. And he even said on his podcast, you know, that if if needed be if need be, he would advocate for um, you know, spending money. He goes, I look, I'm I'm a libertarian. I I don't, you know, want to spend more money. Um, but but honestly, like I, I'd be willing to spend more money government wise for 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 rehab centers. And it's like, okay. Private charities, if you let them, will take better care of people. And you know what will not help? Escalating police brutality. Yeah. Because ultimate, ultimately, police are the monopoly in force, right? And if you allow police to go into areas and say, and like, so like, let's say that you have a, you have a homeless person who is passed out. They did a lot of heroin. They've OD'd. They're, they're passed out on the, on the um, sidewalk. 
it's it's a hazard. People have to walk over it. People, yeah, of you know, course. They're yeah, in the yeah. Way. No, it's a public safety hazard. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and and the police come and they say, hey, you know, we want you to come with us. And they say no. And the police say, well, no, no, you you got you got to come with us. Like we're, yeah. we're taking you. And yeah. and the guy says, no, you're not. What's going to happen? It's going to escalate. Yeah. They're going to use force and violence against this person yeah. to take them to take them where to a to a government sanctioned place where they will go and they'll get their meals, whatever, fine. But it doesn't actually help them better their lives. What would actually help them better their lives is if we had um, injection sites yep. um, that were funded by private charities um, where people could go there. They, you know, hey, look, I have a problem. I'm addicted. Sweet. We're going to help you wean off of this. We're going to we're going to help you get through this. And in and you know what? On top of that, we're going to give you we're going to provide you resources. We're going to sh- we're going to we're going to tell you um give you educational classes if we need to. Maybe they'll provide job support. Maybe they'll they'll provide, you know, whatever whatever it is because it's a private charity and they can do what they want and they know best how to how to deal with with these problems because through trial and error, um they can you know, best assess the market needs. And that's that's the solution, not more police presence. Like did, if if police presence was the solution, it would have gotten better, not worse. <laughs> uh, right. Ma- Matthew Walding uh said uh charity your voice was too low uh to do that Ben Shapiro or Shapiro impression. Yeah, you, you need to plug your nose and use your upper register. So, when you're like, "Hey guys, I'm a libertarian." Um, but, uh, uh, so is he still calling himself a libertarian? Yeah. Yeah. That Which is, um, is sort of frightening to me because that is people amazing. believe that people that is, believe that he's actually, and I have, I've had conversations with people like, oh, well, I mean, I listen to Ben Shapiro, so I'm basically a libertarian. <laughs> no, that's, that's not how this works. Like that's that not how a, any of this works. That is a <laughs> like, scary version of libertarian. So I actually, uh, my last guest, uh, Yaakov uh, Markel, he actually was a couple grades above uh, Ben Shapiro uh, in in school. And he said, he said, you know, you don't get it. Ben Shapiro coming out of that society, that that structure of, you know, the uh, 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 New York Orthodox Jewish community. He is about as libertarian as it gets without basically being shunned by your family. Um, it's a very like, it's, it, they're neocons. They are, they, are the, they are neocons and it's not just a religious thing. There's many layers on it, but he's actually, it, it, it's, not, it, it is, it's surprising to me that he still has the chutzpah to say uh, he's a libertarian. Uh, but at the same time, in his mind with what he's come from, yeah, he would probably be pretty close to a libertarian in the, in those circles. If that just give you an idea how scary that circle is. Well, so I'm curious to hear your perspective on this because you you are Jewish, right? So, like, I mean, it, is that is that pretty typical? I mean, is that so? Like, is here, that right? So here is the we actually so the last episode I had with with Yaakov Markel, we talked about this extensively because we're both anarchist Jews. And it's like, why are Jews, Jews, Jews are, are, are unique in that our entire history is that of why government is bad. 
the Old Testament, the Torah, the 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 uh, um, uh, the Tanakh, what 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 Jews call the the Bible, which is the Tanakh, the Torah, and then the additional, basically the Old Testament, um, is basically a series of stories about government being bad. Uh, the biggest one being, and this is in the Christian Bible as well. Uh, obviously, all all the Tanakhs in the Christian Bible, or mo- most of the Tanakhs in the Christian Bible. And it's, uh, you know, the Jews had what could by many be called an anarchist society. They had rabbis who told them what God's laws were. And and you basically, you could follow them or you could suffer the consequences both in, 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 in your daily life and in the afterlife of not following those rules. But you could follow or not follow them. They were also incredibly welcoming to foreigners, and they were, I'm not going to call them an anarchist society because there was a structure, but they were not a kingdom. And then one day they said, no, we want a kingdom. And the rabbi said, no, 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 that's not what God wants for you. God wants this. And they go, no, no, we want a king. And they cried out for a king. And they got a king. And they got a little even mini empire. And then they got the last several thousand years of Jewish history, which is of one government after the next bashing the crap out of them, doing unimaginable things to them, and by their own... And so, the way that they've survived in places like medieval Europe and and in far-flung places in Asia and in Russia is by creating their own extra-governmental societies that are outside of government, pretty close to anarchist societies with their own laws, doing the best they can to just coexist with the people outside of it, but recognizing this is not for us, these rules are to hurt us, and we're going to do the best that we can to avoid it as much as possible. And yet, now, people in general, the majority of any demographic group votes for statism like it is what it is white people black people hispanic people the va- there isn't like a group where the majority of them vote for you know libertarian ideals jews that's not are... what they said about somalia well oh yeah that's see <laughs> somalia tried <laughs> somalia well you know just... real real somalia has never been tried um but uh, uh, uh <laughs> so that's what i tell people it's never it's, that's not real somalia um anyway so you've got these people that now are some of the biggest bernie sanders like some of the biggest advocates for big government karl marx like now on the other side you've got murray rothbard and milton friedman like i mean jews just in general tend to become thought leaders for for whatever reason you want to give but in general they are disproportionately statist despite the fact that our shared experience is one of government's beating the crap out of us and killing most of us in some cases and we and 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 us resisting that and and beating it by being as far outside of that system as we possibly could be so i i the short answer is i don't know why i don't know why um i maybe hurt people hurt people i i don't know there there's one theory <laughs> that there's one theory that communism and socialism come out of the kibbutzes the religious kibbutzes uh, in 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 ancient Israel and now in 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 modern Israel, the difference is that a kibbutz, which is a voluntary commune, yes, when you enter the kibbutz, well, there's different degrees. I mean, some they go so far that they actually take your children from you and say they're not your children anymore; they belong to the kibbutz. Some have some level of private ownership, but it all operates on the assumption that you're choosing to voluntarily be a part of that and can leave whenever you want. 
and 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 that they will respect the property rights of people outside of their kibbutz that doesn't want to be a part of it. Communism says, no, the whole world has to be a kibbutz. Oh, and also we don't believe in God. So it takes the only two redeemable parts of kibbutzism, which is the voluntary nature of it and the fact that it's based on a faith-based uh, belief that you know we should be sharing a- as one and, and coming together as one tight-knit group, which comes from a faith-based thing. They take the only two redeemable parts out of it and there's your communism. So that's the answer to that. Hmm. So it's it's interesting. So when I when I went to a, l- a little bit of a, a, a jump in conversation, but speaking of communism, um, so when I spent some time in China, um, I came across um, just like a little knickknack shop, um, and I and I bought um, the little red book. Oh, Mao's um, book. Mao's book. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah, I, I was like very curious, and and it was very interesting because people would like quote that, and they'd be like. And I'd be like, I kind of like look at them like, oh, that's that's a cool like comment, like whatever. And right, they're like, oh, right, it's right. from it's from the little, little red book. Little and red I was book, like, right. what? And like, like literally, like everybody, they just like memorize it, right? Like it's it's pretty pretty common. Um, it's but like when, I, when I actually it's, read it's, that it's like book, their Bible. And, I, and I have it. Hmm? It's no, I'm saying it's like their Bible. Oh yeah. 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 No. Okay. So so um, I actually so I thought it was it was very fascinating to me. Um, I decided on several occasions, like three, three, three or four different times, I, I um, ran into different people um, at bars or on the streets or whatever. And I, I was just curious and I asked them like, hey, like, you know, are are you religious? Just just straight up would like ask people that. Um, and every single time, you know, when I would when I would kind of push it and I'd say like, you know, are you religious? What is your religion? They would tell me communism communism is their religion and i was like that's not a religion that's a (laughs) government like okay all right you know whatever but but so so anyways i I read the i read the little red book right um and it's a bunch of it's a bunch of like really cute like quotes about you know family and making sure that your family you know blah blah blah, is is taken care of and and you know don't um you know don't upset your mother and always make sure you save face and all these different things. But yeah. when you actually look at what it's saying, it's, it's very collectivist. Yeah. It's very like, do these things so that the broader, greater community yeah. can benefit. And there's, there's no element of, of um, individualism. And, and that really struck me when I, when I read that, and I, I, I should have known that. Right. But like, for some reason I, um, I read that, that book and I and I was very like taken aback by like how strong the, the the collectivism element of of their culture really was down to down to the book that they all memorize. Yeah, you yeah. Know? They they don't actually. So in the U.S. we have an interesting thing where we talk about how free we are and we talk about liberty and independence <laughs> and individualism, individual grit, American grit. Found we we uh, you know discovered this uh, you know we we you know did all the stuff that we've done because of freedom and and and, and private enterprise about. But yet we're total hypocrites about it because the reality is we live in an incredibly, now at least, incredibly statist, centrally planned society. And we just essentially pretend that we don't. Like, just to, like, like pure cognitive dissonance, we just pretend that we do not. A, a, a communist, a Chinese communist, a North Korean communist, they're never even exposed to the idea of individualism except this sort of this yeah. ab evil abstract thing that they are only in it for themselves or whatever. So the first time they even hear it, they immediately like 
it's almost like you're saying it in a foreign language that they can't translate because it's such a foreign concept. They're not individual people. They're the Chinese. So when you're talking to one of them, you are often talking to all of them all because of them. they've all yeah. been told the exact same thing, which is that we're all and and my understanding of the I've, I've not read the little red book, but my understanding is it's basically uh, some almost like chicken soup for the soul combined yeah. with some Confucianism yeah. with heavy, heavy. Everything comes to a Marxist conclusion. So it's not, it doesn't even really try to impose itself mm-hmm. heavily to talk about the proletariat and the petty bourgeoisie and, and the, the, the dictatorship of the working people and any of that. It's just, it's almost like sort of like a, like, like a, a quota day calendar that's so heavily infused with communism that you don't even realize what you're getting until you're out there killing your, your neighbor because they didn't like collectivize their farm or whatever. Like you're so far into it that by the time you're actually like committing these atrocities it's just like you know you gotta honor your mother like i mean it's 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 a very interesting thing um but uh uh i I, I, go no go ahead something that i find really just fascinating um so when i so when i was in china um I, I just I, so before that I, I didn't I didn't realize that Google's banned in China. Um, I don't know if you knew that Google you oh, can't yeah. you can't you can't get access Google you can't access like Chrome Facebook. you can't access your Gmail you can't access like the Google Play Store if you have an Android like I do because you know Androids are better or whatever. Um, <laughs> no, I'm, I have an Android, I have a I have a Galaxy. No, I, I'm with oh, you. Oh sweet. Android okay, well actually I, I just recently converted to the Google Pixel three. Um, it definitely like took a lot out of me. I was very like. Is this is this real? Like, do I do? Am I really like ready? But like, it it's a good phone. I like it. Yeah, Anyways, that's yeah. not that's not the point that I'm making. Um, so so uh, so Google um Google's banned out there. However, their headquarters are in Beijing. Their Asian headquarters are in Beijing, so they're they're still there. Yeah. Um, and so when you, when I started kind of asking questions about like why why is Google banned? Like that's kind of a a random weird thing, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, the reason Google is banned in, in China is because um, people were beginning to Google Tiananmen Square. And they were Googling Tiananmen Square and they were finding things that the Chinese government didn't want them to find. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Chinese government basically said, hey, Google, we need you to adjust your search results for our country so that only these things pop up. And uh, Google basically said, no, we believe in the the free um, dissemination of, of information, and, and we right, actually right, right. we really um, we don't want to do that. And and it's, and, and it's functionally impossible to do that on that massive of a scale. But they also don't want to do it to begin with. So, but that was fifteen years ago, right? And and now and now here we are, right? right. Where Google is literally filtering the search results for um, Epstein to, to basically to, to um, not showcase photos of Bill Clinton and him together. Like they've literally changed the algorithm so that you yeah. can't see that. Yeah. And that's, that's nuts. That's crazy because 15 years ago they, they were willing to make that sacrifice and got banned from, from China. And now it's crazy because Google is still banned in China. However, they are actually um, using the, um, their satellites to contribute to the social um, monitoring program that, social, that um, China, the Chinese government has. Yep. They're, the ones, they're the ones providing that, that satellite. Yeah. Yep. 
and I don't, I don't know what happened. I don't know what happened to, to, to bring them to this point, but something shifted and they used, they used to really care about individual rights and freedoms and, and privacy and something happened. And that's, I don't know. They, they became the, they became the dominant player of the game. The, the, the thing that you do, and this is why I respect the Cokes because they're so about competition and, and innovation and, and, and creative destruction. When you get to a certain point as a monopoly or, or as a dominant company, there's only so much energy you can put into further innovation. It starts to have, uh, I don't, it's an economic term called diminishing returns. You start to have diminishing yep. returns. So the, you put more and more and more into innovating this to maintain your, your balance, your, to maintain your share, and you get less and less and less out of it. At this point, you're just treading water. You're, you're, you're doing all this stuff just to maintain treading water. Well, that's not good for your stock. So now what you got to do is you got to rent seek. You got to go to government and say, uh, well, you know, for the good of mankind, well, you know, we need to do this and this and this and this and that. And really what they're doing is pushing for more regulations that make it more expensive to do what they do. So even though it makes their costs go up, it also makes the cost of smaller upstart competitors go up and, and prices them out of barrier to entry, which is part of what creates income inequality. You keep removing rungs to the bottom rungs of the ladder, and then you're shocked that the people at the bottom can't work their way up the ladder. Well, they can't. They don't That's have exactly a... why I'm against net neutrality. Yes, exactly. Exactly. When, it, when you have companies saying, yes, please control us, censor us, and regulate us, there's a reason for that. They know that only they can, can withstand that. Only they have the, the chops and, the, and the, the resources in place to withstand that. You have Walmart and Amazon, two of the biggest low-wage employers out there, pushing for a $15 minimum wage. It isn't because of altruism. It's because they know it will kill their competitors. They're fine yep. with competing with each other because they're already both majorly established. And they'll fight against each other all day long, but they know that they're too big to crush the other one. So they, they've, you know, they've made sort of an uneasy pact where it's like, all right, we'll just crush all these people. Because even some of like, I don't know if Publix could afford $15 an hour. I don't know if Kroger could afford $15 an hour. Like even some of the larger chains, forget the bodegas and the, you know, the really small, you know, uh, mom and pop shops. And they definitely can't afford that. But yet they're pushing yeah. it and they're using virtue signaling, which is what I hate with the left. If you say to the left, how would you like, I'd like to talk about a policy that disproportionately helps the poor at the expense of the very rich and gives the poor an opportunity to rise up and to and to you know to be able to to build their self and it's fully intersectional it completely is 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 uh, uh irrespective of of race religion faith whatever and they go yeah that sounds great and i go it's called deregulation and they hang up on me and then block me on facebook um because that's what it deregulation. Yeah. Is well, that why thing. don't we start with why don't we start with eliminating occupational licensing? Like, hey, really, if if we want to talk about income at, inequality stop, and free market stop, solutions, stop, stop like, looking up, stop look, stop looking at my notes. So you <laughs> wrote, you've written some stuff. Hey, by the way, speaking of whatever it was you were talking about, you've uh, written some stuff about occupational licensing. Do you have some thoughts have, on that? Yeah. What, what are your thoughts on occupational licensing? Um, well, okay. So first of all, I'm actually, I'm actually a licensed cosmetologist. Okay. Um, I got a lot of flack from some of my, my libertarian friends who Who's say, well, why are you licensed? Like, what are you doing? Just, just don't have a license. But like, I'm a, I like to, you, you know, a, I'm a law abiding citizen. You know, I 
you know, don't want to, don't want to, you know, get arrested. Um, <laughs> that's the thing. They'll take uh, everything from you if you don't. Why would, of course you get licensed. You don't want to lose everything. Some people trip. Right. That so, so in Minnesota, so I'm going to talk. I, oh man. I want, I, I love, I love talking about occupational licensing. I'm really passionate about, about it. it. How about it? Um, I, I honestly, if we want to talk about free market solutions to income inequality, the first step, the first step is to eliminate occupational licensing. Like seriously, like eliminate it. Like yeah. uh, it's ridiculous. So, so in Minnesota, um, if you want to be a, if you want to be a licensed cosmetologist, so, so first of all, um, the, 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 the people that are, that are harmed by occupational licensing, um, tend to be people that are lower income. Oh yeah. 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 Because because the jobs that they're requiring occupational licensing for are are typically your your lower middle class like maybe your maybe middle class yeah yeah um, jobs yeah um they're not they're not jobs that are they're six figures you know no 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 um no, yeah so okay so in Minnesota in order to be a licensed cosmetologist it's one thousand five hundred and fifty hours of beauty school. So um, they also have a rule in place. You can only go to beauty school for 40 hours a week and you're required um, to have an hour lunch break each and every day. And you can only go for five days a week. There's all these, there's all these extra like regulations, right? Right. Um, so you have to spend in, years in doing this. That, in addition to that. So, okay. okay so, so, so 1,550 hours um, in case that's just a, a weird number and you don't like really like put that into place of like, Oh, it's 40 hours a week. What, what, what does that really equate to? So if you're going full time, which most people that, that are, that are going to beauty school are not, they're not going full time because right, they don't right. have the means to go full time. It's, yeah. it's very, it's time consuming. Um, and, and I mean, it's literally a full time job. Right. Um, so most people don't go full time, but if you do go full time, it's nine and a half months of beauty school. Most people go part time, and it's two, two to three years right. of beauty school, and it ain't cheap either. No, no, yeah. it's not. Um, I so I, I was very lucky. Um, I did this program called um, PSEO, Post Secondary Education. Um, basically, the my high school um, helped subsidize um, me to go to beauty school. So I actually went to beauty school in my junior and senior year of, of high school. Oh wow! Okay. Um, as an elective. Yeah. So that was really cool. And then I, and then I graduated, um, went straight into beauty school and then, um, graduated within six months, um, and worked full time. And I, so I did, I did full time beauty school and I, and, and, and I worked, um, about 20 hours a week at, at like a fast food restaurant. So I'm a, I'm a little different than most people. I, I do, um, you know, I'm ambitious and I, I kind of go for things when I, when I want them, but, um, that, that's aside from the point that, that most people don't, have those the resources that i had most people don't have the ability to right. say you know i did two years of school when right, i was in high right, school right. yeah um and when i went to beauty school i actually took out um i, I used a bunch of a, a bunch of grants to get there um but at the end of the day after all of it was said and done if i if i didn't if i didn't take out grants if i would have just gone the full the full course the full nine month course yeah it would have cost me twenty three thousand dollars yep you make $15 an hour as a hairdresser. Yep. Yep. No, I, I love, I love being a hairdresser. I love it. I love, I love talking to clients. I love coloring hair. I love cutting hair. Actually men's cuts are my favorites. Um, for some reason, um, just chatting with, with, do, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm a little weird. Like I, I, I really like to like have like a guy in my, in my 
chair and and doing a buzz cut and just chatting chatting them up and and whatever and right, and right. I like it. But the thing of the the fact of the matter is is that if I were to go and do YouTube, do the school of YouTube, and I did twenty hours, twenty hours yep. of YouTube videos, and I learned how to perfect the perfect high and tight. And all of the military dudes, they came to me, and I could do a really, really, really nice high and tight. I should be able to do that from my basement. Yeah, yeah. But instead, yeah. instead I can't. And so I didn't, so I, you know, occupational licensing didn't used to really, really, really bother me until I moved to Virginia. Right. right. Um, so like I, like I told you earlier, um, when I moved here, um, I moved here without a job. Um, and I have a skill. I, I have a skill. I can cut people's hair. I can color people's hair. Um, and I have really excellent customer service, I like to think. And so I, I have that skill set. I didn't have the money to be able to transfer my cosmetology license to Virginia and therefore could not legally practice it and was then forced to go find a job at Target. Instead of cutting hair, which is an actual Instead skill. Of- yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so, now, and now, so I still can't be licensed in Virginia. Um, I, I recently transferred my license to DC. Um, so the process for the, the, the process for, um, for transferring your, your cosmetology license from Minnesota to Virginia. Okay. Is, is, is a very complicated process. Um, basically you have, you have to go, you have to, you have to, you have to pay the licensing fee, which is like 160 bucks just to transfer it. You have to pay, um, a hundred or uh, I don't, I actually don't remember. It's about a hundred bucks, um, for okay. the, for the written test, okay. um, just to prove that, you know, you know, the, the bylaws, whatever. And then you also have to pay for the, um, the actual physical exam, which I said, why do I have to do that? I've been licensed for seven years. Like I know how to cut hair. I don't need to go prove it to you on a mannequin, you know? Um, but they basically told me when I called the, the Board of Cosmetology in Virginia that, um, you know, your the hours and the licensing and the requirements are different um, in Virginia versus Minnesota. So we actually require you to do it. Fine. So what 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 goes into that? What Number one, I don't have a car because I sold my car. Okay. <laughs> so I have to drive to the licensing place, which there's no bus to get me there. I looked. Right, okay, there's not a bus right. there. Um, then on top of it, it's an eight hour exam. And then on top of that, you have to provide all of your own supplies. So to give you an idea of, of the scope of what it, what all you have to supply, you have to supply um, totes and bins um, that latch a certain way and they have to be a certain diameter and width and all these different like regulations, right? right? right. And then you have to have, um, you have to have a long haired mannequin and you have to have a short haired mannequin and you have to have perm rods and you have to have roller sets and you have to have um, the, the one prong clips and you have to have the two prong clips and then you have to have your, your combs and your brushes and your wide tooth comb and all of the things that were in my kit and my kit itself cost me $1,000 when I was in beauty school. So really, so really, it's going to cost me over $1,000, plus, plus the fact that I have no transportation to get there. Right. Um, just, just, just to be able to make money. Just to be able to make money. And you've, and, already, been, and you've already been licensed somewhere else. So it's not like you're just coming in fresh. They're, they're making you redo a bunch of crap that you've already long since done. Now, here's the best part about this, okay? So even if... It, let's say that I came from a rich family. Let's, let's say that I came from a rich family and they they were like, you know what, Charity, like we we really believe in you and we want you to succeed and you're moving across the country and we're really supportive and happy for you and we're going to give you all this money to like get your license. 
Um, you also have to get recommended by the board from where you came, which which would be fine, which would be fine, except for the fact that I'm politically active. And I actually tried to run for the Board of Cosmetology in Minnesota and made some people uncomfortable and not so happy with me. And I have a feeling that if I actually put the the time and the effort into trying to transfer my license right, to Virginia, right, right. Um, they, the, the Board of, of Cosmetology in Minnesota would get my license and they would they would get like the paperwork to recommend me and they would say no. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. She she was opposed to this policy. She tried right, to run right. for our board. Like and, and like it's just I mean it's the price you pay as an activist, right? But but Apparently, it's yeah. just funny to me because I never thought I never I never first of all I never thought I'd, I'd live in DC or the the DMV area. Um but second of all, like, I never thought that it would catch up with me in this sort of collateral consequences, you know? Weird Kafka-esque way. So I have, and that's, I mean, this is what I hear many times about licensing. I have two competing license and non-license story. Here's my non-license okay. story. At 16, yes. at 16 years old, I'm a pothead. I'm looking for something to do. I, my parents used to make me work uh summer jobs at like oyster bars and stuff busting tables so i knew what work was and i'm glad they did it because i learned the exact opposite of what they wanted me to learn which was i was like i never want to work for anyone ever again like if i have clients or something <laughs> but like i would go in and and do stuff and i'm making you know five bucks an hour under the table back then you know i'm 14 years old and i'm like i'm freaking man i got more money than all my friends combined i've got I'm a five dollar an air um but uh but I would then see someone my age doing essentially the same thing as me. And I'm like, yeah, no, 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 I'm not doing this 20 years from now. My, my back's already sore. I can't even imagine. And so right then I was like, well, I got to figure out something I can do. And at the time, again, I was a pothead. I'm like, I need to find something I can do at home smoking weed. And so, uh, uh, and so I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to look for i start reading like well what are things you can do from home and something came up website design i'm like oh okay and i found out you can actually edit websites using text editors there are these like more advanced programs that you can use that make it easier but at the end of the day all you need is a free text editor and a free um ftp program which is what loads the files up this is before database driven websites and all this stuff now this is the late 90s and so i thought okay so i started i went to my mom who's a real estate agent that worked with a lot of other contractors and stuff and i'm like okay well i'd like to start making websites for free um to build up a resume and you know first however many websites are free i think it's five or six websites I made were free. And then after that, I'm like, okay, now I've got decent websites. I'm going to start charging very little. Cause again, I'm showing up in my 86 LeBaron, a uh, hotshot 17 year old at this point, And people are looking at me like, what are, who are you? Like, what is that? And I'm like, I'm spike. And, and, uh, so, I mean, it was, you know, whatever, like, so I got it. Like, you know, people aren't going to take me as seriously as they would, you know, now as an adult. Um, uh, especially since I look like I was 12. And so I just, I kept working my way up the cost, like until eventually after a couple years, two, three years, I was charging, I always tried to stay on the bottom end of the pricing just to be competitive, but I was charging a market rate and I was able to build a business that allowed me to retire two years ago. 
Um, when I was diagnosed with MS, I'm like, okay, well, I don't need to become a multi-billionaire like I wanted to. I can just live a comfortable life and, and focus on my health because I really need to because my immune system hates me. And so if licensing, if I had been required to go to website design school and get a website design license and spend tens of thousands of dollars, I would have said, eh, maybe not. I'll do something else. And who knows what that else would have been it might have just been some easy job to do or i may have wasted all that spent all of that money to do the exact same thing i ended up doing in my house whatever so there's there's my 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 free market uh 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 story here's my non-free market story i am uh cheap for a lot of things one of them is my hair i will either get it done at walmart and, and, you know, find someone that does a good job with fades and stuff like that. But I get it done at Walmart or I'll get it done where I often go and they do the best is go to the cosmetic. We have two cos- schools of cosmetology, HGTC and uh, Miller Mott Technical College that both do cosmetology programs. And you can go there and get haircuts for like lower than market pricing. Like I think it's like $8 for a men's haircut or something like that. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I, w- I go there. And I was under the misapprehension that they got some of that money. And so I'd go, and there, here are women that were already cutting hair before they even went to school. They do the best. They yeah. do fades every bit as good as anyone in a salon. And the reason they're not already in a salon is because they come from poor backgrounds and couldn't afford to get the licensing when they were younger. Like like you, they didn't have that kind of program available. A lot of times they were in bad family situations. They're single mothers. They're already in their 20s, 30s, but they've been cutting here for years. And they're giving these like give me amazing lineups and fades and everything else. And I'll say like, well, how much do you get of this? And they're like, we don't get anything. We're spending, you know, I'm taking out a loan for like 30 grand, 20 grand, whatever it is, and hoping that I can get a good uh, cosmetology job in, a, in another year or so. And they were also having to do it part-time. And I said, well, what are you learning here? And they said, not a damn thing. We're just yeah. sitting here. And we have to listen to what they have to say. And then we do our time and we do our stuff. And so I'm like, well, this is terrible. You're doing what I was doing, giving free product but you're paying to have to give free product. And I, and I, and so I will try to tip them. And some of them are, you know, the rules, you can't tip them. So I'll be like, listen, I, let me give you 10. Like, I'm already paying next to nothing for this haircut. Let me slip you 10 bucks. And some of them are like scared that I'm, you know, shopping them to see if they're, if they're, you know, some of them don't trust me. Some of them are like, yeah, you know what? I just don't want to get in trouble. Some of them will take it because they have to. And there's been a couple times where like I tried to give someone some money and uh so like one time the woman was like i won't i I can't take it and i said listen this is one of the best haircuts i've ever had it didn't look like this i haven't had my haircut in a while it looked good just imagine if i had a haircut that looked good uh uh, my hair wasn't unkempt looking and i said i wasn't gonna say anything yeah it it was just like this uh... yeah no i need a haircut i know it's it's i'm like a month overdue for a haircut and um but so i said and you know that of any of any person you can look at my head and be like yeah you need a haircut um but I said, you know, and so I said, listen, let me give you a $20 bill or $10, whatever I give. And I said, I'm just going to put it here. And it's not a tip. I, I dropped my money and you found it and don't even know who it belongs to. And she just kind of rolled her eyes like, fine, whatever. So I did it. As I'm leaving and, you know, paying checkout at the paying at the checkout, the, the teacher comes up. One of the instructors comes up and says, yes, I was told that you dropped this money. And I went, oh, yeah. That money I dropped. 
man, that's glad, good thing you found the money I dropped. And then I think I was able to find someone who was coming back from lunch. And I'm like, listen, please give this money to whatever. And, and they were like real good friends. And so she gave it to her or whatever. What the hell business is it of them? Because it's the reason yeah. that their policy is you can't take a tip is because it's against the law for them to yeah. take. It's not, yeah. it's not the schools being yeah. jerks. It's against the law. They would lose their license to teach if they if they allowed them to get tips what the hell business is it of anyone much less the government if i got a good haircut to give someone ten dollars even while they're complying with all your crap those are two competing stories if those girls and and then there are guys there too but it's overwhelmingly female if those people those persons who i won't gender if those people were allowed to just get haircuts Sorry, I didn't put my phone on vibrate. We're just allowed to get to give haircuts for free until they really crafted their skill. And like you said, go on YouTube and, and, and learn whatever. Or even if there was some kind of minimal safety class you had to take that was a few hours, you know, don't don't slash them in the ear with the scissor, whatever. If there was some kind of safety thing that you had to take, how much better off would millions of people single mostly single parents be in this country if they weren't required to do that not to mention all the other jobs that require licensing for no good reason okay so i actually i have to tell you a story um so um i i didn't used to be i didn't used to have the position that i have on occupational licensing right um and when i i think it was like yalcon 2015 2016 okay okay um i was i was chatting with some people um and I, I mentioned that I was a, a licensed cosmetologist. I think I was like making like an offhand comment, like, "Oh, you should get a haircut or something." Um, and <laughs> to then, a bunch of libertarian. Like, you yeah, went into well, a li- licensed cosmetologist. I can help you. You went into but, a libertarian meeting and started telling the neckbeards there that they needed like to get a shape up, right? I'm yes, yes. Um, I'm a, okay. So let's just talk about the one in ten. Women deliver to no, I don't actually want to talk about that. Um, <laughs> no, no, so yeah, no, I did, I did, I did, I told them, um, that I, I told this guy, and I, I know the guy, but I don't want to, I don't want to call him out, um, okay, he, let's go back to him. Because he watches, um, yeah. basically, he, uh, he said something to me that really, really shook me. Um, and what he said was, like, wait, but your your license, and I was like, yeah, and he's like, well, but like, licenses are like bad, like. Right. That's government telling you and telling people that they can and cannot, you know, do this work. And and for me, in that moment, the way that I was, um, I had preconceived notions and the way the way that I viewed um, my work and 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 um, just cosmetology in general. Right. I was very like, well, well, yeah, like you have to know how to cut hair in order to cut hair. Like, what right, right, are you right, just gonna right, like right. that? Like Joe Schmo, like go cut your hair? Like really? Like. Yeah. You're just going to you're just going to do that. Um and then it was through that conversation and then actually just s- like several months of just thinking through like what a cosmetology license really is and what it does. Right. That I I actually I came to this conclusion and I, I what I really want to say to people that maybe are like me that are libertarian minded, but they're, they're we're working in an industry that's that requires an occupational license, which right. is actually one in five people, by the way, one, yeah, or one yeah. in five jobs, I should say yeah. one in five jobs require an occupational license, which is uh, appalling to me. Um, but what I would say to somebody that works in a, in a, in a field that 
requires that, that is libertarian minded or, or liberty minded is I would say, look, here's, here's the thing. Um, you actually will make more money with having gone to school and having a marketable skill and saying that you have the education and the specialty right. in that area, rather than saying that everybody in the marketplace, everybody that's providing that service has the same level of education as you. Exactly. If you're able to go into it and say like, hey, look, I did 1,550 hours um, and I specialize in hair color. And I actually know that that's what I, what I, what I have uh, uh, under my belt. And I know that that's my value, my worth. And, and so I'm going to, I'm actually going to charge more for this haircut and color because I can, because I went to beauty school Yeah, and yeah. I have that formal education training. Yeah. So you're, you're not only, not only going to make more money as a cosmetologist, not less. Cause like in my mind, I was like, Oh, I'm going to make less money. Like the, you know, the balance of, um, people flooding into my marketplace and they're going to take, take our less they're going to take our jobs. Yeah. Well, that, that was exactly, that was exactly my mentality. I was like, they're yeah. going to take my job. They're going to, they're going to make, they're gonna basically going to flood the marketplace. I'm going to make less money. Yeah. That's not worth it to me. No. And at the end of the day, like the more that I think about it, the more I, I the more I realize, like, I'm actually going to make more money. I'm going to make more money because I'm more marketable because I have a, I have more education under me. And in addition to that, in addition to that, you're going to actually see the price of beauty school plummet. Yep. Because you're going to see people that actually want to go to school being the people that go to school. And then there's actually going there. You're going to be able to, to balance that out instead of having everybody go to school where they can just have like a, well, we're going to charge everybody this like high yeah. amount of this high price because this is the price to get in. Well, you don't have to go to school if you don't want to. I could just I could literally just do what you did with web design yeah. and work my way up to making market value based on YouTube videos if I wanted to, but I don't have to. And instead I'm choosing to go to beauty school and because I'm choosing to go to beauty school, it's a service to me that needs to be competitive and competitively priced. Yeah. Yep. And, yep. and that's, that's the thing that like really irks me about occupational licensing is that people don't realize like if we took away occupational licensing, you're not going to make less money. You're actually going to make more yeah. and you're going to save money on your schooling. The powerful price equalization of yeah. making something optional cannot be underestimated. And conversely, the price escalation that comes from making something mandatory, especially something stupid, mandatory. And I'm not calling schooling stupid, but the idea of having to go to school for months or years to cut someone's hair is stupid. That's not that's not smart. And Well, here's the other the other thing is is that in Montana it's 400 hours. Yeah. 400 hours compared yeah. to my 1,550. Yeah. And so it's like, well, well, but it's not like I just crossed the border and like somehow like forgot how to cut hair. Right, right. You know what I mean? Like the border isn't just like this magical like line where like I just like everything changes and I become a different person and I forget right. who yeah. I am and right. my skill set. Right, hair's not easier in 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 uh, what was the, what was the state you just said? In, I think uh, it's Montana. I'm pretty sure Montana. it's Montana. It's not like hair's not better in Montana. Like it's not e more easily manageable to cut hair in Montana that it it justifies that difference in uh, in uh, in in the gaps there. But yeah, no, I, I licensing is a regressive tax for licenses, 
Uh, uh, and I mean, if we had another uh, two and a half hours, we could get into building codes and all that <laughs> stuff. Like all of this stuff that is sold on us, that it's protecting the public. What it's actually doing is creating massive barriers to entry and, reg- and, and massively regressive taxes on the poor who are trying to get ahead in life. And it's just, it's, right. it's people who, who started their careers with no licensing who then get up to a level that they go, uh, I think everyone needs a license to do what I do. Cause what I do is on a, on a super high level and they're just, they're they're They got in. So they're shutting the door behind them. And, uh, it's, 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 it's terrible. And, and I, uh, I, when you think of the innovation that could happen, if you didn't have to get government permission, I, I fear that, you know, government licensing for, for web design is coming. They'll find some cockamamie, you know, example of some guys screwing people out of money and they'll go, well, that's why you need a license. Cause God knows you can't screw people out of money if you have a license. And, uh, and then that, and that, but I mean, thank God it wasn't that's how that works. Cause that's how that works. Um, and now conversely, like, so when I had my, uh, my business, I reached a point where I had started outsourcing to other people, a, because, um, I, uh, it was better, um, uh, division of labor. I could spend more money, spend more time se- selling, which was my strong point. And B, uh, it allowed me to not have to learn some of the. So I, I had a cursory understanding of a lot of the the uh, technologies related to web design, but I wasn't like I couldn't build code from scratch. I couldn't build all codes from scratch, and so but I could hire someone who went to school for several thousand hours and has a student debt, and here I am, barely made it out of high school, and and I would hire them and have them do the work, and I'm I'm making you know. Uh, not actually, they were making my outsource people were making most of the money, but I was essentially just selling the project, giving it off to someone else, and then and then bringing the finished product to them. And uh, it was because I I saw the higher education and licensing gap uh, uh, trap for what it was, which was just like people with their hand out saying, "Oh no, if you want to do something, you got to do it." You know, the the go through the process, and it was like, "No, nah, I I." I I'm definitely not going to do that. Now, thankfully, a lot of it was just that I was, uh, I just wanted to stay home and smoke weed. Um, but it worked for me. So, uh, it, it, you know, I, I, drugs are bad, but um, that, that particular, okay, this is actually, <laughs> go ahead. This is a good segue. This is a good segue. Cause actually I wanted to go back to the, to the opioid crisis for it sure, for, for sure. a bit. Sure. Um, so uh, something that I just, I love, I love telling this this story. Um, just speaking of like free market solutions to okay. um, our opioid epidemic, right? Um, so there's there's this uh, there's this really cool um, uh, nonprofit in Chicago, D- Detroit. I'm sorry, it's 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 Detroit, um, and basically it's a nonprofit that um, takes inner city kids and teaches them how to code. Nice. Okay. So that's, 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 that was the initial, the, the initial nonprofit and the initial, um, the initial project. Right. But what these inner city kids did is they actually took, um, their, their coding and they said, you know, what would be really great is if we created a system and we created an app, um, that we could tell just local users, local drug users about. And what the, the, what this app would do is, um, is alert them when there's a bad batch of heroin in the area. And they did, and they did. And so what they did is they they, they took they took they input all the data from um, police reports um, for overdoses in particular blocks and, and like certain sects of um, of Detroit, right. and they they alerted people for about twenty four to forty eight hours 
around excessive amounts of overdoses in an area saying that there's probably a bad batch in Syria. Right, right. Fentanyl or something like that. Yeah, yeah. And it, I mean, there's not like necessarily a way to track. I mean, maybe there is, but but not that I know of a, a way to track how many pe- lives it saved. But I'm sure it's countless. Oh, I'm sure. And, and that's, that's amazing to me because that right there is free market innovation for for um, harm reduction. Yeah. It is people who were helped by people who yeah. are helping people. It is yeah. it is people that are subjected to all the stuff we've been talking about from the state and from bad private actors as well. It's not the government's not the only bad actor out there, but they've been right. subjected to these things that have put them in, in terrible situations that were not their fault because poor inner city kids, it's not their fault where they are or anything else. Uh, who were helped by others, and now they have a skill set, and their immediate thing that they think is, yeah, I want to help more people because I was helped. That is mutual aid. When people say, without government, who will do X, whatever good thing? And the answer Mm -hmm. is, we will. Like, you and I will. And it may not be that specific thing. I'm, I'm, I... I'm not the right person to teach someone how to code because my coding is is as rudimentary as 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 it can be to, to to own a website design company. I was I was heavy on sales. I knew the coding enough to uh, make it work. And when it got more advanced, I outsourced it. But I but I and I had enough knowledge about it to be able to speak intelligently between the the client and the and the, and the actual coder. But there are so many things that we can do for each other completely voluntarily. If government would just legalize or decriminalize it, make it legal or, or, or stop arresting people for it. So th- those are the two things I say. When someone says, what would go without government, who will do X? I see two things. We will. And without government, who would stop us? And yep. that's really the, the, the end of it with me. I mean, I, I have I do have one final question before I give you your chance to give your final thoughts. By the way, this has been an absolutely insanely amazing interview. And I'm so happy that you chose to, to, to come on. Um, yeah, so, thanks. um, so my question to you, uh, is, um, and I, I want to put, I want to put 30 seconds on the clock to give you sufficient time. That's really not sufficient time, but I want to give you 30 seconds to answer it. Um, is, um, why do you want America, uh, to be like Somalia? Good luck. Uh, Oh gosh! I, I what? No, I'm not answering this question. <laughs> okay, so fa- okay, that that was actually the correct answer. Um, the uh, uh, so the the follow up question would be: How often are you encouraged, lovingly and otherwise, to move to other countries when you start talking about the? <laughs> Man, um, literally. More than I would like to admit, to be honest. It's, it's, yeah. But, you sh- I mean, the thing is, is that people, people that say that, they're just uneducated, honestly. They just, they just don't know what, what it is that, um, is going, is going on in other countries. Um, yeah. and, and also they don't, they don't understand how our foreign policy has, has really negatively impacted, uh, our, our current immigration system. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's and, my file. That's yeah. My file. And, well, and Somalia specifically, I'll say, what do you know about Somalia? And they'll go, it's anarchy. And I'll go, is it really? And they'll say, yeah. And I'll say, okay, let me tell you what Somalia really is. It's a failed communist state 
that was then taken over by foreign communists failed again. So then it was taken over by, I mean, Islamic extremists are also statists. They just want a a, a religious dictatorship instead of a communist one. That failed. Uh, And then now it's run essentially by the UN, a UN provisional government that continues to fail. So Somalia is the logical conclusion of statism applied absolutely in every aspect because they tried to create their version of a North Korea. First they had a king, uh, then they were, uh, and that didn't go, they had a, uh, uh, they were French, I believe French occupied, that obviously didn't go well. Then they became a a, a, a fully communist state that immediately failed. Uh, Any of the times you see pictures of starving, there's this picture of a starving uh, uh, Somali and and there's like a well-dressed businessman who's handing them a dollar and they go this is what commu- this is what capitalism looks like that's actually a communist business person that was there to to look at how they could exploit somalia so that was actually a russian communist who was using us dollars cuz they knew their money was worthless um so somalia is actually a textbook example of every way that the state can fail all at once and and in in perpetuity so that's obviously my, my quicker answer is um i actually don't have a qu- i liked your answer i don't have a, i'm not going to answer that that's my new answer to that <laughs> it's nice and so, no no i'm not i'm not gonna answer you you moved to somalia um or you could say well i'm a libertarian and i hate roads there are no roads there so what am i going to uh destroy so anyway um so charity again it was an absolute blast to have you on i'm so happy Hopefully I can have you on again. Before I let you go, I just want to give you a chance to give any final thoughts, anything that you didn't thought that we didn't get a chance to discuss, uh, anything that you want to plug or promote, uh, any final message you want to leave with anyone. You have as much time as you want. Charity, Nicole, the floor is yours. Okay. So so, so two things. Um, first, first, I want to just say, um, if there are any, like, women... I just like I just want to plug this. Like, if there are any women that are in the liberty movement that are maybe watching this, or you're liberty minded, or you're you're liberty leaning, and you're kind of like looking at it, and you're going, well, you know, this is a this is a politics is dominated by men, and there are a lot of people that are way smarter than I am, and and you know, you're kind of maybe feeling intimidated. I just yeah. want you to know that you are not alone, um, and there are really awesome organizations that are out there. Um, Li- La- Ladies of Liberty Alliance, um, Lola. Um, is an excellent resource. Um, shout out to them. Um, and, and I just want to, like, I just, I personally, like, my heart goes out to, like, women that, that are, that are libertarians, um, that just really, like, want to, like, throw themselves out there and, like, be part of the liberty movement. Like, be my friend, add me on Facebook. Like, seriously, like, I would love to, like, be your friend. Um, and the second thing I want to say, sorry for that, like, a little bit there. No, um, no, absolutely. Yeah, let's go ahead. Um, the second thing I just want to say is like, when, whenever it comes to like conversations about climate, like specifically, I just want to talk about climate change for just like a, a hot second. Yeah, yeah. Um, when it comes to, to com- conversations about like climate change or, or really any conversation and, um, you know, you get pushback about, you know, oh, well, it's just a big government conspiracy or whatever. Right. Like here, here's the thing you there, the free market is the best solution to any of our problems. And I truly, truly believe that, especially for climate change, pollution reduction, um, things like that. Like people call me a hippie, which is, which is really funny to me. Um, 
some anti-war and I, you know, I, I want to, you know, help our environment. Um, and, and I'm free, I'm pro free market. So I guess whatever, I guess I'm a, a unique hippie. Yeah. Um, it's a very unique hippie. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but it, the thing is, is that like the free market really truly is the best solution to, to all of our, all of, all of the problems that we have. And, yeah. and if you really do your research, if you really think through issues that are, that are plaguing, not just the United States, but the world as a whole, um, Oftentimes, you know, when you when you do your research, you know, you're you're going to you're going to find that government has has actually made the problem worse and the best solution is the free market. Less so, government. Yeah. 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 Less coercion. Put it this way. To anyone out there, which do you think works better? Forcing someone to do something or giving them an opportunity to figure out the best way for themselves to do it? And even yeah. more, and, 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 and the way, the really edgy, if you really want to make friends is you go, well, which do you like better slavery or, or voluntary, uh, uh, labor. And I don't like using, even though I, I don't like using that comparison cause it's, it, it is a very white guy who has zero perspective on things like slavery or, or oppression to say, but from a, from a philosophical standpoint, you've got something being forced and something that's voluntary and whether it's slavery versus voluntary labor or the state versus free market or whatever, it's just, don't say it, but don't say it. Don't say it. Um, so again, charity, thank you so much for coming on. Stick around. I, I want to talk with you for a second what, during the intro. Um, but guys, thank you again for tuning in for this episode of my fellow Americans. Um, join us. Uh, oh, you got a shout out. Ab Abby, Abby Sukraj said, hi, charity. <laughs> so, Cool. Um, hi. <laughs> hi. So, um, guys, thank you again for tuning in. Uh, be sure to tune in uh, tomorrow for uh, the writer's block with my co-host, uh, Matt Wright. He will be um, interviewing Aaron Nakamoto to talk about Anarcho Vegas. Let me pull that up again. Anarcho Vegas. Be sure to tune into that. Uh, so they'll be talking about that and many other things on uh, tomorrow night. Uh, Friday night, I believe we are not going to have an episode of Mr. America, the Bearded Truth, because Jason and his wife uh, are preparing for the arrival of their of their baby, which apparently is more important than, you know, whatever, whatever uh, priorities. And uh, then have a great weekend. Monday, I again, I don't know. Jason might put his family before Muddied Waters Media. I don't know what to tell you. I don't know. I, you can ask him. You can ask him what he's doing Monday. I, he may not know yet. And then uh, next Tuesday, be sure to tune in uh, to... Uh, the muddied waters of freedom with me and Matt Wright, where we parse through the week's news with all of the irreverence and joy of a, of a, of a, of a, of a, of a small child. Um, and then uh, tune in next Wednesday, uh, next week, right here uh, at um, uh, My Fellow Americans. I will be interviewing at least one of the admins of Fakertarians. Uh, I think there's actually going to be a few of them. And we're going to be talking about how literally everyone but who's on the show is not a real libertarian which we touched on briefly during this episode but we're really going to delve into how everyone else including probably you are not a real libertarian but so tune in fakertarians next week and guys thank you again for tuning in so much have a great rest of your evening and god bless you <laughs>
my skin, my friend. In reality, you are my kin. Though I view the world through another's iris. If you slide in my kicks, it might fit. We might just unite and come together, become hybrid. At the least, slightly like-minded. Indeed, the life I've lived brings light to kindness. All you need is a sign. Put a cease to the crimes. Put an ease to the minds like mine. Sometimes darkness is all I find You know what they say about an eye for an eye In a time when the blind be the blind Who am I to deny? I would cry when a loved one dies I recognize that body outside When a holes in the body that was alive Now can find them a chalk outline Find out how but you never know why It ain't even make it to the news at night It ain't even make it to the news at night That's my sister, mother, father, brother, son That's one of mine All these tears, I close my eyes Open up the only fine I'm in line